Hey, this is Benjamin Mara. You're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. Oh, see now? Con mucho gusto. Right? That was such a blast. That sack is back, so you know it. Oh, Wait, nice. Feels better. Your sack. What? Yeah, you know, I dug deep and, and it's <laughs> okay. more full. Yeah, I sacked up. You nutted right. Oh, you kids. And it's because it's a special you. episode. It hey, is. You have to play that awesome game, Devil's Triangle. <laughs> See, and, and what's fun? What's it's not funny, but what's I? I had to look it up. We were driving to work today. Renee was driving, and, and I, so I look it up, and I'm like, so it's basically just another version of Eiffel Tower. I'm like, I, I don't... I've never heard that. Yeah, never, it, well, Eiffel Tower is a specific... Right, I mean, that's the whole high-five thing, and right, but it's... Uh, yeah, I've never... Devil's Triangle is just a, a threesome with two men involved. And Renee's like, so, menage a trois. I, like, I just... Well, I, a, a, a menage a trois. Two men, not, like, that's, the, like, two women, one man, not a right. different thing. Yeah. Two girls, one cup? Chocolate. Well, this, this this dude's a tall a walking cup. I know that, but nice. Oh my goodness! What a way to start off an episode. Yeah, huh? let's, yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, it, it might be fitting with some of the yeah images we I think we, it's perfectly we, appropriate for the content Sweet. we consume this week. But yeah. Hey, everybody listening out there, this is eleven o'clock comics episode five hundred and sixty-five, our book of the month episode. If you didn't pick up on that already, and I am Vince B. Oh, you are Vince B, and I'm going to hug you in less than a week from tonight. And I am David A. Price. Not if you're and involved in no devil. Wow, damn right over <laughs> angle. It's just talk right over. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. I'm going to hug you and you because I, of course, am James Proudstar. Nice. And I know where that's from this time. Well, yeah, because it came back this week, and I know Vince is all up in it. He binged the first season. <laughs> Hell no. And he's all psyched up for the second that just started. Nah, son. I had not realized it was coming back yet, but it will no doubt be sitting here on my DVR when I check. Also, big doings, and it is pertinent to the show. I uh, Comcast finally wore me down, and I agreed to the um, the double my internet speed today. Nice. So that will go into effect this weekend when I get the new modem. Sweet. Um, was this, it a significant charge or? Uh, it's an extra $5 a month. What? Promotional. Promotional deal. For two years? For a year and then for another year it goes up 10 bucks. A big deal. And then the guy basically told me uh, as long as I keep track of the calendar that if I call and complain in two years when it's about to go full retail, he's sure there'll be another deal for me, so. Sweet. Well, yep. I have a guy coming out Saturday because nice. we, we are dumping the DirecTV because it is a, mm. it's, it's a it's a stinking turd that has aggravated me for too long. So we're going back to Comcast. And in the process, relevant to what you were saying, my internet speed is going to double because I'm getting a new modem and they're doubling my internet speed. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. That's what I'm all about. But you are not James Proudstar. 
aka Warpath. You are Jason Wood, everybody, in the house for this Book of the Month manga-style episode featuring Junji Ito's Uzumaki. Finally. Mm. Finally. (laughs) Only we ever talked about it before. Well, we did, but you guys haven't. Let's say we. I don't. I mean, we in air quotes. If only. If if only this is. It has been discussed on the show. Right. It is. You know. No bones about it. It is a classic horror manga. So I. I didn't realize it was as old as it is. I devoured it, but um, you guys have had yet to have read it, and I'm glad you did. So we're going to talk about it soon. But in the meantime. You want comics, we want comics, everybody wants comics, but do you know where to go to get the absolute lowest prices on these things? Not down the street, I can tell you. You go to Discount Comic Book Service, dcbservice.com, where you can get your comics at the absolute lowest prices. These are the specials. They are going away. Ne'er to be heard of again. From Albatross Funny Bucks, it is Grumble, number one, Rafer Roberts, Mike Norton, on this mini-series of five issues. The first of which, cover price, three ninety nine. But you, because you are the poindexter of periodicals, can get it for $2.19. Next up, Scotty Young, Jorge Corona, add to the millions of copies this thing is already going to sell. Just go and order Middle West, number one. Three ninety nine cover price, your price one dollar ninety nine cents. And thank Kirby that I don't have to say this title again from Marvel. Savage Sword of Conan, hardcover, original Marvel Years Omnibus Volume One. A lot of pages between two hardcovers. You get Savage Tales uh, one to five, Savage Sword of Conan one to twelve, and the nineteen seventy five special. So do the math. That's seventeen eighteen magazine size issues under this these covers for a hundred bucks which is you know depending on your budget a hundred bucks can can push you over the edge but it'll only push you half over the edge because dcbservice.com has it for fifty dollars fifty dollars yeah Make go, holla. go there and save because uh the savings while always constant will now be backed up by a uh, even better customer service because the big news is they're moving the operation blah, 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 back to Fort Wayne, Indiana. Ray Cray. Yeah, it's unheard of, as you like to say. It is unheard of. Do you have anything to say about that? Well, I do because I think that, uh, first of all, it's an incredible, it's an incredible feat for them because given that they are where they are in the industry, I mean, they're number one in, I think, most in most measurables in terms of comic retailers. Um, you know, we know from knowing the Merklers well that uh, this was not an easy decision to decide to move to Tennessee. Right. They did it uh, because they thought it would be better for the customers. And they uprooted not only the business at considerable expense, but they uprooted their family quite literally. So uh, to come forward with the truth like they did this week and blatantly acknowledged that they're moving back because they felt that the customer service wasn't at the level that they had become known for is incredible. I've, I've had the good fortune to invest in hundreds of companies over the years and, uh, you know, in my, in my professional life. And it is a rare thing to see a company that is a market leader acknowledge as they have uh, a flaw and take massive 
you know, take a massive mea culpa to write the ship. So I, I, I have immense respect for them and not just because they're our sponsor, um, much more because I'm, I'm a customer and have been a customer for a lot of years before we did the show. And I, I'm blown away by, uh, by their candor. And the reason why I giggled when Jason, before Jason launched into that was because behind the curtain here, we've had audio issues at the beginning of this episode and we have heard this all before. So yes, I asked him, do you have anything to say about that, knowing full well that he did and, and had played something to say about <laughs> it, and then we heard it again, which it justified, because it's, it's important. There are peoples, they are the best, and we, uh, w- I'm excited. I, I didn't really notice a huge dip in, in customer service. A, a, a couple of nibbles that were not so hot, but not, not a real, not, nothing to bitch about, but now that they feel it's necessary to go back to get it to the way it was before, okay, mm-hmm. I'm, hey, I'm excited for them. But can you imagine sitting at the, the, the dinner table when Christina finally realized that we got to go back? She's probably like, oh, shit, we got to go yeah. back. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> oh, Especially man. with the, uh, the, the problems and aggravation, the, um, the moving company. Hell yeah. Caused. Uh, it was, that was a freaking nightmare. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Discount comic book service. What, pray tell, are we drinking? That is an awesome question. Why don't you kick us off, Vince? Do I got to? Oh, all right, fine. Let's have Jason go first then. All right. I am drinking Harp, which is uh, an Irish lager. I've not heard that in some time. Mm hmm. Nice. You want to go second, Vince? Well, I was going to say, but it's soup, so you can drink soup. I was going to say I'm <laughs> drinking miso with spiral fish cakes, but I'm not. I'm drinking Diet Coke because that's all I have. Uh, but I'm shaking the bottle so I get a little bit of Whirlpool action going on. In oh, there. nice. Okay, yeah. well, I got I, I to I, I kind of spin the glass anyway. So um, I should have bought sake for tonight, but... Uh, actually, this doesn't really tie into the book of the month, but I, I bought this. I haven't tried it yet. Um, line 39, Cabernet Sauvignon from California. It is called Line 39. The uh, It's inspired by the 39th parallel, which runs through the heart of California wine country. And when I looked at the back of the bottle and I saw the um, the southern part of California, it reminded me of uh something i've been doing a lot lately and i i tend to turn to the um i did they got my roku and uh-huh. uh and and install the uh, dc universe app because it's not available for the ps3 or the tivo and basically what i've been doing is as i go to just to put something on that i enjoy while i'm doing other things i've been watching uh superman the movie quite a bit and uh seeing the um the, the map of, of California reminded me of the movie uh, because of the events in the movie. And, and that's why I bought that to try tonight. And um, we'll see how it is. But yeah, line 39. That's what I'm drinking. Cool. I can't wait until next week when you're drinking line 40. Ooh. Or maybe some, yeah, close to Siete, but whatever. Mm-hmm. That's true, too. All right. Let's go into, unless we have any business to take care of. Do we? We we do, but I think we could save it for the end. 
Okay. Along with um, a uh, a very um, generous. Well, it's a thank you for someone who was very generous. Uh, we'll, we'll do that at the end. All right, let's get okay. into it then. Um, the book of the month. Dap, do you have the list of contenders ready at your fingertips so we can tell them what they could have been listening to? What they could have been listening to. Let's see how fast this loads. Um, the Yes, I do have it up. September's okay. book of the month. Um. It was it was kind of close. It was it really and neck, was one of the but, closest we've ever had. I think. Yes, uh, I mean the ones that were not anywhere near um, in contention were were way behind. But basically, we had um, Battle Angel Alita Volume One with ten percent of the votes, Biomega Volume One with two percent of the votes, Cat Eyed Boy Volume One one percent of the votes, uh, Doro Hedoro Volume One. Two percent. Uh, sadly, uh, the drops of God volume one had no votes, um, <laughs> which yeah, it, it was like you know it's about wine. I, I thought you know for sure maybe I should have voted for it, baby. But uh, Ghost in the Shell volume one with twenty percent of the votes. Uh, Junji Ito's Cat Diary, Yan and Mu, four percent. Monster volume one, ten percent. Now see that we've actually talked about. But, you know, the drops of guy gets nothing. Anyway, One Piece, three in one edition, volume one, 15% of the votes. One Punch Man, volume one, with 15% of the votes. So it um, there, there was tied for third. Uh, but your winner, with 21 or 22% of the votes, Uzumaki. Nice. Also by. Uzumaki. Right. When I, I put the the Yan and Mu in there, basically for you, knowing that there was already a Junji Ito in there, it would have been neat to see Ito battle himself had that received <laughs> more votes. But I love the Ito. You know, I do that every once in a while. I put two of the same things in just to yes, see what happens, like on the T-shirts. But um, so let's get into it. It is amazing. It is a seminal work of horror, horror <laughs> manga. Whoa. And um, but it is a sprawling 19 chapter story uh, with one lost chapter added on at the end, and then three forewords that were originally published in the individual volumes or three volumes of this. Uh, but it reads like an anthology. It really does. Like a Agreed. Twilight Zone-ish anthology. Yes. yes, yes. But it's there is a... I was going to say there's a thread weaving throughout the entire 19 chapters, but it's more of a spiral. Ah, ah, pulling there. it all together. Because if you do not know, Uzumaki means spiral in, in Japanese. And I, I will hazard everyone, I will warn you, do not, under any circumstances, watch the movie. Really, really. Yes, the movie is is horrible. Oh, it does not do justice to the manga at all. There, there there's one scene with um, uh, Shuji's father with all his collection of spiral things. Mm -hmm. It's a very nice set. The, the design is nice, um, but other than that, the movie. I, I, it stinks. It's bad. 
They mm. tried to get everything into the movie. They left a ton of important things out. Um, yeah, we don't have to waste time uh, going into it. But I, I will say, the actress that they got to play uh, Kiri, her name is um, uh, Eriko Hatsune, I think. Very mm -hmm. easy on the eyes. Very, very cute. As Kiri is in the book. But, you know, that's that's superficial. The movie's just poop. Don't watch it. All right, good to know. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, Uzumaki was originally serialized, as all great manga is, in big comic spirits. From Now, hmm? did, um, did you read this when it was coming out, or you read the collections? I've read the individual volumes. I got it. I didn't read Big Comic Spirits. I mean, I have some of them, but I couldn't read it anyway because it's in Japanese. But um, I've read the original single volumes as they were coming out. Okay. And then I chucked them to get the awesome three-in-one hardcover. Sure. Yeah. Which, oddly enough, the individual volumes feature the artwork flopped for... Very we weird. For Western audiences, but the hardcover presents Uzumaki in the original format as presented in uh, Big Comic Spirits. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I'm glad they went back to the way it should be. Yeah, well, that I was, found that odd. That was the trend. That's, they used to do that. I mean, that started mm -hmm. with um, uh, Eclipse. Eclipse used to flip their translated manga just because that's the way Westerners read, but mm -hmm. you're not reading a Western comics so right you know right. It, it shouldn't jump through hoops for you um but yeah so they've they've they fixed it they rectified it in the three-in-one edition yeah because when i was seeing uh we also have the digital version of this that we throw around for the show and we can mangle it and because it's digital it doesn't get all bent up and stuff and when i saw the pages i'm like wait a minute this is not so but there you go uh, let's jump in, and uh, who wants to start? Want me to lead it off? I'll do the, the because oh, I think absolutely. I think the first chapter is very important. Mm -hmm. Oddly enough, it, I mean it's the first chapter, but you get um, the first glimpse into the relationship between the two most important people in the book, and that is young Kiri Goshima. Uh, young Japanese girl, beautiful, long flowing hair. She is uh, has grown up with and is in love with, as much as a teenager can be in love with, her guy pal, Shuchi Sato. And um, the, the one thing in the movie that, see, I'm, I said the movie stinks, but there's one thing in the movie that they mm -hmm. don't hammer home in the, the manga is that Shuchi was with her every step of the way. From mm -hmm. small children, they show them playing on on um, you know uh, playground equipment. She drops her ice cream in the in the in the dirt. He gives him hers. So he's like always been there for her. You get that in the book in that he saves her ass a lot of times, but you don't know the full extent of their relationship. Like they've been together forever. I kind of got that impression, but just based on. Um the conversations Kiri had either with him or with other people. Um, I didn't, I didn't think it was, um, it didn't come across to me like it was, it was shoehorned or, or really trying to 
hammer that point home. I think I just kind of picked up on it based on how conversations went with other characters in the books. So, I mean, right. I'm glad to see that the the movie definitely reiterates that, but I didn't I didn't get the impression that it was just there because like those Hollywood love story type things where you know the girl just right. needs that guy i didn't yeah. get that at all well i mean look at physically look at them she is gorgeous she yes. attracts a lot of attention at school oh, she does. oh yeah even even there there's a girl later on in the book who's classic beauty and she rivals her beauty so uh and then you look at uh shuchi and he's not exactly a hunk of hunk of burning love you know, he's tall, he's lanky, he's got dark circles under his eyes, he wears glasses. So, I mean... Not- they, I mean, I'm sorry, I, I'm noticing, I didn't, they, it became more, his, his circles became way more pronounced as, as the, the chapters went on. Um, they, are, they are there slightly um, at the beginning, but yeah, you're, you're, right. you're right. I was, and, I, and to make the relationship even more admirable, he goes to another high school. That's true. Right, and she still refuses to let him go. She still latches onto him. So there's something there. These two were meant to be together, as you'll see in the in the in the last chapter. Um, but they live in a um, Japanese village on the coast uh, called Karonzucho, and it's not your typical seaside. Uh, town it's it's shrouded in mist and there are very very strange goings on and the first one to pick up on the the strange goings on is uh shuchi his um his dad is mesmerized by spirals spiral patterns as the book opens uh kiri is walking and she notices she goes looking at this guy squatting um, in an alley, and she's like, "Wait a minute, is that Shuchi's dad?" And it, it, it is. And he, she goes over to to talk to him, and he pays her almost no attention. He's mesmerized by the the spiral pattern on a snail shell, and it it kind of like it sticks with her. So she's like, she she asks him about it. She goes, "I saw your dad," and mm-hmm. he's like, "She was kind of out of it." He's, and Shuchi's like, "Yeah, he's he's obsessed with spirals," and he goes. Right off the cuff, let's let's elope and get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. And, she, and she's like, "What? You know, you know." Obviously, she she um, weighed the possibility of that actually happening in her mind. She's like, "What? We we can't do that." But she thought about it, and um, he's like, "We got to get out of here." Um, Carosa Cho is contaminated with spirals. Now, those, that's the exact language he uses. This place is contaminated with spirals. Um, Shuchi's father commissions Kiri's father. Kiri's father is a potter. And how do you make pottery? You throw it on a wheel. What does a wheel do? A wheel spins. And um, Shuchi's father says that pottery is the art of the spiral. And it is, right, when you think about it. That is true. It's you're melding this pliable clay in your hands, and you're pushing. And while you're pushing, it's spinning, and the the excess potter, the excess material sluices into the center of the thing. And it's a, it is a spiral, right? Um, and sh- like I said, Shuchi's father has a spiral collection. Anything he finds, 
with a spiral pattern motif on it, he takes home. He's got clothing hanging in this room, um, just metal bent into a spiral, seashells, or not seashells, um, snail shells. Uh, he takes the sign from a local beautician parlor that has a spiral on it. Uh, and he, the dude is obsessed, right? To the point where he wants spirals in every part of his life. When, when they sit down to eat, he, he, ha he wants spiral fish cake in his miso. If he doesn't get it, he freaks out, right? He's like, okay. So he gets the chopsticks and he spins the soup into a, a, a spiral pattern. And he's okay. He can, he can drink it. And when he takes a bath, he churns the water into a mini, mini whirlpool. And then he can get in. Like the guy has serious issues with the, with the spiral pattern, right? Um, but things turn sour when Sato's wife throws away his spiral collection and he hits her. He smacks her, smacks the woman, and he goes crazy. Um, and that's when he reveals something that freaked my ass out the first time I read it or saw it. He takes his glasses off, pick, tips them up, and he can spin his eyes in opposing directions. One is going clockwise, the other one's going counterclockwise. It's like, what the hell? That scene is freaky. Which hammers the point home that this spiral obsession is not only an obsession. He's altering his physical structure in response to the spiral. Like, you shouldn't be able to do that. To, mm -hmm. to the extent that he can do it, like his eyes are bugging out of his head. And yeah, I mean, you you get a get you get an idea really quickly through Ito's art that things are not well, right? Well, because he he yeah. looks mental from jump, right? But as as Kiri and Shuchi are walking through the 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 city, the town, there are little whirlpools forming in like the the aqueduct that passes through. There's in the clouds. There's little undulations and spiral patterns in the clouds. There's a, a full page um, splash with Kiri on the top of a, a, a grassy hill, and in the grass, there's all spiral patterns. Right to the point where I, I specifically went through every page in this almost 700 page book, hoping that there was a spiral on every page. Because if I were the author of this, I would have put a spiral on every page. No matter, like, even if you snuck it, you know, um, Felix the Cat style into a corner of a room, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, just, just nestle it somewhere. It doesn't have to be mm -hmm. explicit, but there's not. There are some pages without spirals. And that kind of disappointed me a bit. <laughs> because I, I, the pervasiveness of the symbol in, in Kurozu Cho is everywhere, right? Um, but uh, Shuchi's father. After the collection was thrown away, he realizes, I don't need all that stuff. I could manifest the spiral from within. And he's, he, see, he commissioned, like I said, he commissioned a piece of pottery from Kiri's father, but he welshes on the deal after the fact because he doesn't need the, the pottery with the spiral pattern in it. He could manifest the spiral, and he sticks his tongue out of his mouth Mm. And it comes out, and he, it's, it's in this giant, like his tongue is massive, and it's this giant spiral, and Kiri freaks out, leaves. Long story short, first chapter, 
the elder Sato kills himself by winding himself into a wooden tub. He he pushes and molds and pulls his body into a spiral pattern within this circular tub. It's disgusting. And and mom sees it and freaks out. This uh Shuchi freaks out. Uh and that's where the first chapter ends. But what a setup. Like from the first couple pages is, is as soon as that spiral motif, as soon as you see dad in the, in the hall in the aisle looking at the the, the spiral on the the uh, the shell the snail shell you're like this is just so off kilter there's something really weird going on here but number one it's manga there's usually something really weird going on um, and the fact that it's in black and white in a horror manga to boot I mean it, the visuals are just absolutely perfect yes oh I don't I, I don't I'm not waiting for Jason I don't I don't disagree the, the first chapter really um, it 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 does what it's supposed to do in in setting up setting up this city um, I'm not even going to attempt to to pronounce it right now um but this this community um it it lets you know that this is not um whatever your typical manga might be uh it it's it, it between between ito's art and the story he's telling and the fact that there's each chapter kind of just goes in different twisted directions. You, twisted, you, you, right? Twisted. There yeah. you go. Indeed. You, yeah, you yeah, get yeah. the. Uh, it, it. This was a real solid first part. Yeah. I, I think it. It definitely lets you know that you're. It, it, it's going to be an uncomfortable ride. Right. Yes. But because yes. this is Japan, and space is at a premium in Japan. So, burying people is not the norm. They're cremated in this Fine by me. city. Yeah, me too. And and when they put the elder Sato in the the cream crematorium, and you know the thing does its work, the smoke from his remains, his mortal remains, spiral up into the sky in a spiral pattern, right? But they do a little bit of a turn and they get sucked down into this location called Dragonfly Pond, which is very important to this story. Extremely so. Yes. It, it, it is the mm-hmm. nexus of all the weirdness going on in Uzumaki. Dragonfly Pond is a local you know, uh, hotspot. Uh, Kiri's father goes there occasionally to get clay to make for his pottery it's 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 like a local you know when you come to a town hey where do we go in this town well you got to see dragonfly pond okay um but when dad is getting cremated his face manifests in the spiral pattern in the sky mom is at her breaking point when you see your late husband's face screaming in the sky in a in a spiral pattern you know you're you're as uh um, Mor- Morrison said, "The fragile eggshell mind. Y- you know it's going to crack, right? So, and that's where 
chapter two comes in. It's the spiral obsession part two, where uh, Shuchi's mother falls prey to the spiral. She's not doing so well to begin with because half of her entire world just died. Um, and she's starting to notice the spirals. Everywhere. Kiri's hair. <laughs> she's, she has to wear a hat when she goes. Fingers. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, fingers. She, 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 that's, that's, oh. that's the disgusting part in this chapter. It's beautiful. Yes. Where um, Mrs. Sato notices the, the, the swirls on her fingers and takes a pair of scissors and cuts off her fingerprints. Cuts off the skin. Uh, on her fingertips to to eliminate her her fingerprints and it's like okay so she's in the hospital uh they they've shorn her hair so she has a, a a cap on she's got mittens on so she can't hurt herself and she's talking she's speaking to the doctor and behind the doctor <laughs> this is so sick behind the doctor there's a um anatomic chart of the human ear yep and if you know your anatomy, then the human ear, the, the cochlea, is a spiral. So they're, they're trying to move like, you know, Monty Python style, like position shit in front of the, the thing. And people are leaning into it so mom doesn't see it. And she, and she she's like, no, 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 we're good. We're good. We got to go. Let's go take her back to the room so she doesn't see it. Eventually, um, now this is the, the, the aspect of this chapter that I found very cool. She's visited by the this, this spirit of her husband, but it could be the spiral manifesting this. It could be actually the, the tormented soul of her husband speaking to her where the spiral obsession continues even beyond the grave. She's getting an IV drip and the, the IV drip spirals down and she sees her mm -hmm. husband and she's, she's like, you have a spiral in your ear and the, the ivy falls and smashes and she picks up the glass from the broken ivy and she gouges her cochlea out of both ears it's insane yes. I, oh man i love that passage that is that is brutal it is right and before i, I had to kind of chuckle a couple first with the well the when when shuchi noticed the uh, the chart at first I thought because of his eyes because of the sweat I thought maybe he was starting to succumb to the spiral but his reaction to trying to get mom to, to not notice it um, <laughs> basically lets you know that no that's not the case but the I, I had to giggle with when when mom wants to go back to the doctor's office and look at the poster there's a big panel where she's just kind of hugging the wall because, and Shuchi's <laughs> even like, your leg hasn't healed yet. But there are speed lines going down the hall. It's like he's trying to sprint yeah. he's right next to her, yelling at her. She can barely move, yeah. but he's running at full force. So I, get I, the fuck away from that poster. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I was wrong. She does it with the scissors. I the think scissors, yeah. I think she uses the glass yeah, in the scissors, movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, in the comic, she uses the scissors. Um, and it's so nice that she has the. The rubber fingertip glove still on when she takes her her cochlea yes. out. She, you know, you got to worry about the hygiene, right? But the thing is, um, she was there was also a centipede apparently within yep. the room. Yeah, oh, God. and and the centipede. And what happens when the centipede is in distress? It swirls into a spiral, mm -hmm. and she sees her husband's face yep. um, with the yeah, tongue. Again. 
on the on the centipede. Um, well, she liked the tongue. I mean, you know, he had he, he had skills, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. She seemed happy until he started fucking with the spirals. But um, the thing is, if your cochlea um, are damaged or destroyed, it leads to vertigo. Yes. And, and what is vertigo? It's a spiral, yes. spinning, right? So she's she's just she's she dies. She she can't. <laughs> she's just she, she, she dies. And she's cremated again, and the black smoke of the crematorium produces another spiral in the in the sky. It's just foreboding. Um, uh, Ito is great at foreshadowing because yeah. the um, every chapter has something that plays out in later chapters, whether you're paying attention to it or not, and we'll get to it later. But um, yeah, we'll get to it. Even even the most incon- inconsequential events play out big time towards the end. And it's just it's neat that this 600 and plus page story was planned out so stringently mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. with with such precision that it's just it's it amazes me that there is one chapter that I thought was kind of superficial and that's coming up uh in chapter 4 five the medusa one uh the hair battle yeah it's kind of silly but we'll we'll get to it yeah uh, when we get to it i'm curious why you thought it was silly versus some of the others but <laughs> well, well no i mean why that one why that it well i mean chapter three is the scar and in in, in a nutshell chapter three features a girl named azami kurotani and she's gorgeous she is absolutely stunning, um, and she had and milkshake a milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. Exactly, um, shapely not not too shapely, but shapely for um, a high school student, right? She's just she's very attractive, right? But she has one flaw: she has a crescent moon shaped scar on her forehead that she received when she was, you know, trying to impress a boy and. Uh, younger and she fell from a, a gym a, a playground gym thing and she got a scar but it's a cute little teeny tiny scar it is it's very small like in surface area wise it's it's a it's a probably about one percent of her face right but you, you you can hardly see it because of the way she combs her hair she has bangs and um uh, azami has all the men her allure over men is considered a spiral because it's it, the magnetism that draws men to her is is like a, a whirlpool of emotion. So it's it's a spiral type um, occurrence, and every man that has ever, as Jason said, all the guys want some of this milkshake, except Shuchi. Yes. He he's shun- got eyes for our girl. Right, but he shuns her. He knows right off the bat. He's like, she's contaminated by the spiral. We, I'm, no way. She's, uh, no. He, and it, it's, his, his reaction to her is, is violent. She's, she's trying to capture his attention, and he wants nothing to do with her, like to the point where she was a leper. He's like, ah, no, he's out, mm-hmm. you know? And that just pushes her even more t- to get his attention. And the long story short, um, the uh, crescent in her forehead 
turns into what you, what would you expect? A spiral. But this chapter has produced the sole image that has become connected with Uzumaki. And that is the, the image of um, Azami's face with the gigantic spiral divot carved out of her forehead with her eye just teetering on the lip of where her eyelid mm-hmm. used to be. That, that's the, whenever somebody says Uzumaki, that's the one image. They're like, oh, yeah, that girl with the big hole in her forehead and the eyes. Like, but the eye isn't stationary. The eye starts to right. spin around the uh, spiral of the hole in her, in her head, and it just becomes engulfed. And she eventually, uh, she consumes a boy. She, she lures a boy into her, her uh, clutches and consumes him, sucks him into her head, and eventually just consumes herself. Yeah, this is some stunning cartooning. Yeah. On a lot of levels. Right. It is legit freaky. I mean, like... Uh, this is I the mean, kind of stuff that sticks with you, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's M. Escher. It's, 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 it's great. It's great. It's impressive. Yep. It really is. Well, you in, know, in we doing... should say that, um, that the, one of the things I, I, I found really attractive about this book was that, uh, Ito's obsession with spirals, because the spiral is one of those things that transcends both, uh, the most fantastical and unbelievable and fringe mysticism and, and, and mythology. Uh, and, and, and then all the way to the other side, which is that it is, the spiral is considered one of the most elegant and important mathematical, uh, um, realities. Sure. So it really does represent the, um, confluence of, of science and spirituality. It's it's a super important thing. Like I, I, I would imagine some of our listeners know this, but there's a thing called the Fibonacci sequence. Yes, and it's super important in investing. Um, but for those that don't know what it is, it's a pretty simple in concept. It's it's a, a numerical sequence that is built off of uh, of the number being the sum of the prior two. So it starts at zero, and then one, and then zero plus one is one. And then one plus one is two and so forth, so on. But if you do that, if you just run that string, you'll see it grows exponentially. It's a logarithmic uh, uh, number sequence. And if you draw, if you draw, if you use the Fibonacci numbers to draw uh, quarter circles, radii, um, it creates a perfect never ending spiral. And that is uh, considered by many to be the, the most perfect form of of a natural occurrence of math it's called the golden ratio it is the stuff of legend among mathematicians and it is uh, omnipresent in nature in many many forms right but the which, golden uh, ratio is also used in design too yeah no uh, right yeah. that's what i'm saying it's it's yeah. um um it, it but it's it's wildly impressive because it's truly perfect it's it's a it's a almost a perfect numerical sequence right um so it, it's 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 neat that Ito chose that to be the source of this insane series of horror stories. Right, which kind of ticks me off that they left the last chapter out. 
Because I, I think the last chapter pulls it into Lovecraft territory. I mean, it, the, the chapter 19 is definitely in Lovecraft territory, but the Galaxies chapter, the, the, the add-on, lodges it firmly in Lovecraft territory. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But, but what do you mean it ticks you off that they left it out? I'm confused. Because it was, if it's an afterword, oh, I if, see. if it's like, oh, the lost chapter, it's not part of the book proper, so you can, there, I'm, you, I'm sure you could disavow it in, in respect to the, the, main, the, the main work, but if he thought it wasn't important to include within the book, because the last chapter has Kiri with her hair long, so you can pinpoint where it would have fallen in the scope of the book. I just think it... I have to agree that it would have tipped his hand if he put it halfway through, mm -hmm. but this could have been chapter 20, give her short hair, you know? Um, I think it's very important because it establishes the cosmic horror. The, the inescapable cosmic cycle that sucks everything in and we are powerless to do anything about it. As human beings, we're in, inconsequential. These, these cycles go on. We can try and fight them, but they will persevere. That's Lovecraft. That's Lovecraft in a nutshell. And, and I, I, I like the fact that it ends in a very Lovecraftian fashion, but that, that Galaxies chapter, that's just awesome. That there's something, something from way beyond space that and is it, controlling this thing. It, it, mm -hmm. th that adding the lost chapter at the end, it doesn't. I mean, when when you get to the end of of the third volume, and the way it ends, it's you know there's there's closure there, but putting the 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 lost chapter after it um, doesn't negate it, but definitely takes. A little bit of um, not the sting, but it, it 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 lessens it for me in a way. Yeah. Well, Mostly because, like you said, I mean, did she's got the longer hair? It's definitely earlier in in the story is where it would have fit in. Um, and I think it would have been too much if it came earlier that early in the story. I think that cosmic doom and gloom didn't belong in the story that early it, it mounts as the as the story goes on and it certainly manifests completely in chapters 18 and 19 but i think you know the more i think about it i think there was no place to put that other than at the end it's it's just too it's too revealing mm -hmm. it's the whole ball of wax right so I mean, we'll talk about that when we get there but um so that was chapter three the scar. I don't know if, if Mr. Ito's making a comment on femininity. I don't know, but this, the, like we said, um, Azami eventually consumes herself. Meaning, I don't know the pursuit of uh, attention and and um, of the opposite sex will eventually consume you if that's all you all you do. I don't know. You could read into it what you will. It's not only disturbing surface horror. There's a lot going on uh, under the earth here, too. Chapter 4 is the firing effect. You guys want to, one of you guys want to take this one? Uh, sure. Uh, sure. So, 
Um, for, before we, uh, I will get into it. But I want to ask you something. Because mm-hmm. um, with chapter four, it says at the bottom research consultant Hisashi Sato. What up with that? Huh? I didn't. Mine doesn't say that. I'm I'm guessing um, he wanted um, Ito might not be so um, big on um, pottery and ceramics and and what it what it involves in in working a kiln things like that. Yeah, that, that, that's probably right, it. I mean, I mean it's, it's that, that that's just me guessing. Um, yeah, what else could it be? Because there's no there's no like. Medical terminology and right. no medical. There's no there's, there's no artillery or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably so what it is. They start the chapter with uh, a young Kiri <laughs> and uh, and uh, the, and her her mans, and they lurk. They're looking up in the sky, and they see. No, that's her brother. That's her brother. Oh, okay. That's really good. Yeah. Makes more sense because he's got glasses. But um, I see the reason why I agreed with you is because the the splash page for mm-hmm. chapter four that looks like a very she young. looks young. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, she is young in this beginning of this chapter. She's definitely a young version of herself in the beginning of the chapter. Do you no. disagree? Yeah, I do. I think she's really? the same. I think she's the same age in the beginning of chapter four as she is at the end of chapter three. Yeah, huh. because okay. the, because of the spiral motif in the sky and the dragonfly pond a- angle, she wouldn't yeah, have known it makes, that. It makes her look so young in those bottom two panels. She does. You're right. Well, I, I think, think you're comparing her to her brother. He's lightening her hair a bit too. Yeah, her. that's true. She, okay. Well, either way. Okay. So they're looking up in the sky and they see the spiral. And they're talking about again since you're right, it has to be on her because she's talking about the funeral. So yeah, they're saying that uh, since she had um, the funeral, since Shuichi's dad's funeral, the the crematorium, as we already said, is making the spirals, and that uh, I guess the smoke from the crematorium after it makes spirals goes into the aforementioned dragonfly pond, <laughs> which they comment as sucking it in. So more foreshadowing, um, and they are now. Flashing over to the uh, the sculptor, and he is losing his shit as people are wont to do <laughs> in this uh, in this world. He's like, just go back to the house. He's screaming, it, "Don't look inside the kiln." Um, GTFO. About, yeah, yes. exactly. Um, they kind of go about their business, and then we flash forward to the Midoriyamashi Cultural Center. Because there's a ceramics exhibition going on, and there's lots of people looking at all types of pottery, and uh, suddenly you see a bunch of dudes just staring at something, and they're baffled. They they have no. They're like, this is this is baffling. What is this? And then we turn the page, and there are grotesque, <laughs> grotesque pottery, um, all sorts of deformities, and uh, painted on the ceramic are just. All types of spiral, big and small, intertwined, all sorts of things. And these these potteries are just malformed. They look like they look like they snakes look like and organs. intestines and organs, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and no surprise, it turns out that um, he gets the clay to make these new statues from the dragonfly. Right. So, but the cool thing about it is when he puts them in the kiln, they're normal. Yeah, but when yeah, he when he fires them up, this happens, and it's because well, one can 
assume that it's because of the smoke of the kiln is mixing with the smoke of the dragon dragonfly pond, and something is leaching its way into maybe back flushing into his uh, kiln because there are spiral patterns, but there's also f the faces of the tormented souls on the yeah, surface of the freaking pottery. Curious brother's the first to notice it. <laughs> he notices the faces. And then sure enough, the faces, and it looks like Shuichi's mother and father. And then uh, and then the sculptor's wife gets all bent of shape, like, why are you doing this? Like, as if he's pulling some cool joke. And he said, I didn't do anything. What you mean, girl? Um, oh, God. So it's all kinds of fucked up. Um, <laughs> I mean, that could be the tagline for this book, Jason Wood dash. It's all kinds of fucked up. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Nice little sushi box lunch. Yes. Uh, Shuichi wants no part of her house. He's like, I ain't going there. Fuck that. Yep. Um, he's the. He tells her that Dragonfly Pond is infested with the spirals. Uh, dude's just got issues. Um, yeah. You know. Then we get to. Um, but he he because he's all about the he's all about that it's all about that base. He he acquiesces and he goes there and they serve dinner. And he's just chowing down on on some ramen, yeah. in a this it, probably the most disgusting um, example of eating ramen ever. He's just slurping just <laughs> volumes of this ramen in, well, like a vacuum. He has some giant... been eating. Yeah, I yes, know. Well. And uh, of course, what does the ramen bowl look like? But a bunch of spiraled noodles. Yeah, this is where Dad's a dick. Yep, and he freaks out when he sees the spirals. What, you don't and... like my dish. What right? the it's like I brought it out especially for you. Yeah. You know, thing with your dad and shit. It's like, how, how are you thinking this, dad? I just, I can't. <laughs> well, dad's very vain because even in the, the early chapters when uh, Suchi's uh, father says, oh, you're, you're an artist. He's like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm an artist. That's me, you know? So any kind of accolades he gets for his pottery, he just soaks it right up. And, yep. and the guys at the, the pottery uh, exhibition were like, this shit does not look like your normal stuff. And he's like, no, 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 I got something going on now, and I'm not going to say how I do it. Like, it's a trade secret, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. he's he's all about the process. Yeah, and, and he's he's he made the bowl of the ramen out of the mud from Dragonfly, and, and then they show that he's he's going to continue to do this, and he's just manic. He, he goes all the way in. He submerges himself into the lake um, to the point of, of being under the water and comes up with a bucket of mud drenched and just giddy and he goes into his his kiln area his studio and he's making more pottery and she waits until he falls asleep and she goes in kiri this is and she goes in and she looks inside the kiln she hears a roar and she looks inside the kiln and there's just this disgusting it's it's like from dante's inferno it's just this 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 mashup of 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 tentacled organs and 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 faces in agony um, in, in the pottery. Uh, it's almost like a window into hell of sorts. Yep. And, and, and then he, he wakes up. He was dozed off. He wakes up while she's there and he freaks out and he said, I told you never to look in the kiln. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's just so she, now she's hella worried. She doesn't know what to do. She hears screaming and, and, and all kinds of, uh, of, of, of yelling. She's, she's not sure what's going on. Uh, turns out that uh, her man is now at the kiln, fighting with her dad, um, and he he, uh, 
he throws a brick at the kiln and breaks the kiln that comes crumbling down and it's like a street scene straight out of Ghostbusters when all the apparitions and the ghoulies come flying out from the kiln door and just spew out in, in disgusting excess all over the place. Just screaming names, screaming shuiti, making kinds of crazy noises, and um, destroying his, his pottery barn and, uh, and the kiln and everything in the process. Yes. Uh, but the, the sad thing about it is dad's still looking for surviving pieces of Yep. Of yep he art. finds a piece, and he's, he's, he's giddy. He finds a piece in the midst of, the, of all the junk. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a relatively... It's a tame chapter in that in that nobody really dies, <laughs> but it's certainly one of the more grotesque looking chapters because yeah. of the yeah. constant stream of, of of the cursed pottery and the clay and whatnot. The uh, sequence where Kiri goes to see her father at Dragonfly Pond, mm-hmm. the three panels in the middle of that page where she's facing the lake and she sees his wake going out and the bubbles coming up and then you see his head just plop, right mm-hmm. bre- break the surface right to the, the bridge of his nose. And then that third panel where he's got the bucket and he's dripping. Those three panels are the closest thing to EC Comics in this entire Yes, book. I was just going to say. Especially the middle panel. Yeah, that, that to me looks like uh, Feldstein could have drew it. Or, or uh, I don't, not Davis, definitely not. But it, it just looks like it could have been ripped from the... Uh, a page of a, a, a Tales from the Crypt or, or an EC comic. It's a, that's a that's a big kudos because not everybody can pull that off. And the thing that got me in this chapter was the the voices of the dead from within the kiln. Mm-hmm. Just the heat were yeah. burning. Shri Chi, help me! And and it's not just one person that can hear it. They all can hear it. So it's real. Like, Carrie's in her bed covering her ears because she can hear these tormented souls screaming from her father's kill. It's like, oh, my God. So Jason hit the nail on the head. Ito doesn't need to show someone's forehead opened up with their eyeball rolling around to creep you out. I mean, it's just these pages are disturbing, not only in the visuals, but what the visuals mean. Like, these are the souls of deceased people being fried in a kiln. Like, oh, God. There's no rest for these these poor bastards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, chapter 5, I thought, was a very superficial chapter. But in, in uh, relation to the ending, it's not. Um, it's, it's a sh- relatively short chapter. Two, two children in love. Uh, Kazunori loves Yoriko. Boy meets girl, boy falls in love with girl, great. Um, their families live at the opposite ends of the same row house. You know, one would think that, that that arrangement would be a good thing for young lovers. You live in the same building, she's at this end, I'm at that end. You know, we can see each other every day, be together every night, whatever. But it's not um, a blissful existence because their families hate each other loathe each other. They, they live at the opposite ends of this house. There's nothing in the middle and they can hear everything the others say. 
So if, if one or the father of one says, that no good boy trying to make with my girl, like they can hear it and they retort immediately. And there's constant fighting. It's chaos. It's just not a good atmosphere for anyone, never mind two young lovers, right? But this chapter foreshadows the ending. Um, you have this visual metaphor. There's, there's a, a sequence in here where there's two snakes and they're intertwined and they, they believe that the, the snakes are making love and the, the, um, the um, what are their names, Kazunori and Eureka are like, aw, you know. But the family intervenes, both families intervene and they're at war. Um, and the kids basically have no recourse but to join like <laughs> like the two snakes their bodies get extended and twisted and undulate in impossible ways i mean you couldn't mimic these uh contortions without seriously destroying your spine it just wouldn't happen but their two bodies join and intertwine and the two become one it's it's kind of kind of touching if it wasn't so grotesque the it, it may it may not have been the the best chapter in the book or um, might even be somewhat um, not as after the previous chapter it might be I, I, I don't want to say let down but it it's it it doesn't have the same kind of punch but it definitely sets up things to come because we're introduced to the row houses here. We're introduced yes. to characters who can uh, twist their bodies around and, and but also um, since these two characters are lovers, it's, it's um, it ties into something that happens at the end of, of the third book as well. But it, it's so it, it, it's a story that serves a purpose. So the, the, the story itself May it kind of takes a backseat to to the setting and and foreshadowing. Yeah, I mean the thing I got out of this chapter was that physics, biology. Oh, don't be shitting this They, they don't <laughs> work in uh, Kurosu Cho like they no. do everywhere else in the world. Something is so powerful that it, it it's holding sway over the very fabric of being. It could blink out the rules of 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 um, gravity or you know biology just like that it doesn't matter i because i'm controlling it uh, the i don't want to go there yet but i mean so the the two contort into a a um a snake like organism they can't pull them apart so they they head out into the sea to disappear and be together forever now, as I said, if it wasn't so gru gruesome, so grotesque, it would be kind of touching that these two lovers just want to be together and they just they become one body and go off to die because that's you go off into the ocean. If you're a uh, a mammal, you know the ocean's not for you, so you're going to die, and that's just. Oof. But chapter six is the one that I kind of. Um, I don't wish it wasn't included, but it's really the low point of the book for me. Um, mm. Yeah, K Kiri, uh, her hair begins to grow uh, lengthy, and it, it takes on spiral patterns. 
of course. It, visually, it's it's the most comical. Yeah. Um, Kiri has a friend, Sekino, who is attention starved. She she just wants to be noticed, um, and she's she's kind of attractive, but she's in a, in a low key way. Um, but when she notices all the attention that her friend is receiving, she embraces the spiral. And um, it affects her hair as well, to the point where there's a hair battle. There's a hair war. The, the Kiri's hair, like Medusa from the Inhumans, just seems to, be, seems to have a mind of its own, and it's, it's throwing down with Sakino's hair, and their hair's getting intertwined, and they're battling, and it's, it's just silly. It's, it's, it's just silly. They show up at school and everyone makes a circle around them like, fight, 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 you know? It's, it's just, I don't know. The Sakino tries to strangle Kiri and thank God for uh, uh, Shuichi because he comes and cuts her hair off. He's the only one that was able to do it. Earlier in the chapter, she tried to get it removed and the hair wasn't having it. It attacked... Well, it helped that he was all all up in it. It it had yeah he developed was, him and and he just so he he basically attacks her from the inside and he's able to yeah to cut her hair off cuts her hair off saves her but um, Sakino thinks she's got it all now and her hair like she's the queen of the block her hair is like look at me everybody here's like a beautiful hair and they're all like oh look at her hair but her hair grows too quickly. And in growing, it's leaching her vitality away. So she's progressively getting older by the second as her hair grows. And her hair spirals up this telephone pole. And there's circular spiral patterns everywhere in the sky. And it just consumes her. Like she turns into a gnarled, um, old-looking... Like this is a teenager. And when she dies, she looks like... Um, a 50-pound corpse. Like, there's no fat on her body at all. It's just her hair is all consumed it, and just people just stand there looking at this corpse um, tied to by her hair to this pole, and they're all like... And the, the, the caption at the end really gets me. It says, Her hair remained on the telephone pole, displaying itself for several hours. And that's the end of the chapter. Like, this, this human snow, soul was just allowed itself to be snuffed out for vanity's sake, and um, now she's dead. But we do get a short-haired Kiri out of it, which I think works better than long-haired Kiri. That has nothing to do with the story, other than the <laughs> fact that her hair had to be removed, or it would have killed yes. her. But yes. um, uh, visually, I think short-haired Kiri works much better than um, long-haired. And then yeah. we had a hell of weird afterward with, with, with Junji Ito's self self cartooning. <laughs> in the yes, in that in mind, they're all in the back of the book. Oh, I see. Yeah, they group them together, all in the back. Um, so, thoughts on this chapter? Do you you didn't think it was very superficial or? No, I, I guess I did, when I mean reading it, it just seemed like another in in the in the line of stories. Showcasing the spiral, yeah. So in that sense, yeah. it, it works. Um, it, I mean, it, yes, someone died, but I don't think the um, the 
the stakes were nearly as high as in all the preceding chapters. You know, like... Mm. Yeah, at no point did I think that um, Kiri was in danger. I mean, it, once mm-hmm. once Shuji cuts her hair off, we, we, we focus on her rival and her, we see visually, we see her physically getting, getting thinner and, and, and more gaunt. And, um, we were lucky that that, that, that Kiri didn't near that stage, but, um, probably because of that, I, I didn't feel like she was really ever in any danger. Yes. I mean, after the fact you can go and say, okay, well, you know, had it continued, she would have ended up like this as well. Um, right. But since she didn't, it, it, it I didn't. It, for me, it was just desserts as, as far as the the outcome for for the uh, the person with the not so um, good intentions. Mm-hmm. The, the one criticism I would have of the book, and it only comes from having read the entire thing and and experiencing the ending. Looking back, Kiri and. Shuichi are the Rick and Michonne of the book. Never, now that I've read it a bunch of times, never do I expect anything to happen to them in the book mm-hmm. because they, you need that ending, right? So they are, right, ki- right, they are right. kind of untouchable. Um, everyone else around them dies. but Which is probably why I, I would have... I kept reading it hoping nothing would happen too, especially Kiri, but I kept reading hoping nothing would happen to them, but I would not have been surprised if something did only because of of how fucked up this world is. That sure, right, mm-hmm. right. And speaking of that, the, the next chapter is one of the more disturbing chapters in the book. Yes, it and is. And it's, it's, it's good in a sense that it comes after the hair battle because uh, chapter seven is called Jack in the Box. And there is an annoying little shit uh, <laughs> named Mitsuru Yamaguchi. And the kid likes to pop out and surprise people. That's his thing. He just pops out, says boo. It's annoying like, uh, AF. Yeah, it's unless, like... Uh, jumps out and says boo, unless you're Kiri, where he says, let's go out sometime. Yeah, well, that's the thing. He does have a, a very strong attraction to Kiri. Um, and she wants nothing to do with him. As you know, she's a smart girl, but he, he like the, the kid will bump, jump out behind a gravestone as they're going to, to school. He'll come out of a friggin' trash can, boo, you know, just to try and get a rise out of her. And he does, but not in the way he intended, you know. Um, and and he, he makes his affection for her very, very um, explicit. He goes, I, I like you, I, I want to be with you. And he, he gives her a gift. And gifts are important in Japan. Um, and it's the giving of the gift that seals his fate because she doesn't want it. And he's like, okay, let me show you how much I like you. I saw this thing on TV and he runs out into the street and he says, my, the power of my love for you will stop this car. And it, it, yeah, idiot. And it doesn't, it doesn't stop the car. And the kid, no, the the kid, he's run, he's run over, and the kid is wrapped around the wheel well of the front of the car. His body is wrapped and twisted around this car's front 
driver's side wheel. And it's like, oh, and you see his head poking out from underneath the wheel well. He's, he's all bloody and his. Oh, I love, I love that panel. It is amazingly grotesque. A kid in a freaking wheel well. Like, it's every parent's nightmare on the page, right? So they have the funeral, and Carrie's like, uh, I guess I should open the box. You know, it was a gift. And she opens it, and it's a box, a very ornate, somewhat ornate box with a, a, a sign on, a note on top of it saying, With love, Mitsuru. And she opens it, and what do you think happens? It's a freaking jack-in-the-box. And it pops out, and she's like, oh, boy. Um, she, this, is, this is not good. And then she, I don't know if she imagines or if it really happened. Knowing this world, it could really happen, but I'm guessing she's imagining it. The jack-in-the-box talks to her. And he said, it says, you know, Mitsuru died for you, didn't he? He'll come back for you. And she's like, oh, shit. So her and um, the bow go to Mitsuru's gravesite and dig him up. <laughs> and, when they mm. do it, and in doing so, they pop open the lid of the coffin and the, uh, the gases that form when one decomposes uh, push, push the body out of the casket, much in the same way that a jack-in-the-box emerges from its enclosure. And his post-autopsy young body, all stitched up, Dr. Frankenstein uh, style, starts hopping through the graveyard after Kiri. And with every hop, he seems to lose another part of his body. Uh, at one point, his intestines are are flagging out. They're swaying back and forth. He loses a leg um, to the point where he's just a torso. And yet he still manages to bounce after Kiri. These, these pages are grotesque. They, they, they really are. Especially he's a, with, with Patchwork Man yes. and, and how, how clean and bright Shuchi and, and Kiri are in yes. contrast to him. Yes. The, um, his, the anatomy is, is magnificent because his um, arms are flailing and it's like they're bent at the wrist, bent at the elbow, where he's almost puppet-like, like if something is controlling him. Uh, you don't see the strings, obviously, because they're not there, but it looks like he's being jerked around by this mad marionette uh, puppet master and uh, so he keeps hopping after them and they're like what the hell how could he hop he doesn't have any legs I'm making it seem more lighthearted than it is it, it's a very disturbing sequence it is yeah um, long story short they find out that the car suspension spring had somehow remained in uh, Mitsuru's body Post-autopsy, which I find and hard to believe. It, but. Well, th but yes, while it is hard to believe that someone would be that um, negligent, I do appreciate that it had a more reasonable explanation than just that his, he, 
his love for Kiri, where he gave her a jack-in-the-box, turned his spine into a spring. And right, yeah. So I, I, I like I like the explanation, as far-fetched as it may be. Right, it wasn't chance that he was killed by a car, which has a spring that is used to sp- suspend the front end of the... You know what I mean? So it, it's all calculated, and it works in the in the way you said, that now he's a living jack-in-the-box, but... Or well, it did, but yeah. It's just like... So when, when he first emerges from the coffin, like, you don't... We don't see the back of him, but you don't see that spring. Like No, not at all. I'm, I'm wondering where that's... Is it, is it up his poop chute? Is it his spine? Like, you don't know. Mm-hmm. And the more he damages his body... By by jumping, there's one point where he hits the ground and all his intestines just block in this giant puddle of yuck, and he just keeps banging after Carrie because he loves her, and he he consumes himself. He just bounces to the point where there's no more left to to bounce, and so the Jack in the Box never surprised anyone again. <laughs> the, oh my the, god. <laughs> the, the spring was was definitely inside of him because there sure. is a panel where they're running away and and you do see um Mitsuru from from the back the kid is so giddy before uh pre death he is so oh. damn giddy he's like oh yay it's mitsuo i love you i want you <laughs> to be mine i'm in a garbage can for who knows how long just because i want to be with you and look at this i can stop this <laughs> dead Oh man! Come on, come on, bang, fuck him, dead. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Lordy, Lordy, Bagordy. Uh, yeah, we we get a couple of um, really freaky, creepy, not um, a easy on the eyes stories <laughs> with this chapter, uh, yeah. with with this book. Yes, one after uh, well, at least at least consecutively. I mean, there's no there's no Medusa to kind of lighten the mood or. Uh, no. That's... Well, and also, this is the second volume, so he's probably, at this point, trying to push the envelope more, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, I can imagine... Nothing, nothing's more disturbing to me, though, than, than, the next, than this chapter. Oh, <laughs> than, than chapter eight, the snail? Oh, my God. I, really? I, I, I may have nightmares about this. <laughs> it <stuff>. was tough. <laughs> it was really tough. Yeah. Okay, the snail. It was so O'Henry-esque, but it was, yeah, it was hella tough. <laughs> There's a... Uh... A very slow-moving class. He, this 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 young cat. Oh, he shows up to school when it rains. Yeah, because he's well. You know why? Yeah, uh, you know why. Young Katayama is he's he's overweight, but he's very slow, and and his his classmates chide him for for being so slow. He, and as David said, he only shows up to class when it rains, and when he does show up, he's late because he's a slow-moving dude. He's big. He's so moist. Yeah. Just, he's so goddamn moist. Like yeah, he's sweating and he's got this this viscous, icky stuff just pouring out of every, seemingly every orifice in his body. He's thick lipped too. He's a, just a, an odd looking child. Um, and his teacher, uh, Mr. Yakota, is like, what is the deal? Why are you always late? And he. Why do you always come when it when it rains? And it, the teacher passes it off. I I don't see how the teacher could pass this off after a while. But but um, cut to Jim. So what is like your attendance record? Is what like once a? I know, right? Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> like, they are a coastal. They are a, a coastal uh, town. So I'm I'm guessing it rains 
now more frequently than most right the the well stale though i mean i mean yeah i mean if because this is really the first chapter where we see rain in this whole book but the um (laughs) um every time we see katayama we did we get a close-up it's just like you said with 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 coming out of Dragonfly Pond, it was it, it it was very EC. That every time we get a close up on him, it reminds me of an indie comics with an X type character. It, it, yeah. it looks like something out of Crumb or or just something that another an an underground artist would 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 draw. And he, whenever you see, especially when they're playing volleyball, and and he's getting yelled at, he's got you know he's looking out from the he's giving homeboy the side eye, but he's got that eternal smile. I it always looks like. He's he's just he's he, he's able to make himself ejaculate without. The, it's just yeah. it's the weirdest yeah. look, man. Dude, Jeff Nicholson, ultra okay. ultra klutz through the habit trails. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so cut to gym class. They're playing volleyball, not a sport to which. Um, young uh, Katayama is attuned because he just gets hit with the ball and he misses the ball and he can't move. And and there's, as is prevalent in high schools, there's a bully, Samura. Samura's a good-looking kid. Long, flowing locks. He's very good at sports. He's the anti-Katayama. And he's like, you suck. You're an ass. Why do, why do we even do this? So they take him into the locker room and they strip him. And they he's the poor... Poor kid, poor, poor kid, totally destroyed. Poor Katayama's naked, and um, he's holding his junk. And they're all—they pull him out into the hallway, and all the girls are looking at him and screaming. And in in attempting to get away, he turns his back to them, and he's got—he has a spiral pattern on his back. Kiri knows what's up, but everybody else is like, okay. And the kid, so his his uh, hands and legs are closely pushed together so as not to reveal any naughty bits from between his legs and he pulls himself snail-like off panel through an open door this is not fun times for this kid no (laughs) it's not good no so it's raining again and now um when katayama comes to school his deformities are obvious he's got he has a hunchback a giant protrusion coming out through the back of his shirt. And because he's always wet, they get the lay of the land. It looks like a spiral. It looks like a snail shell. It's like, what is going on? And the teacher, again, not, not the best teacher in the school district because he, he... No, he's not. He, he sweats a little as when he sees the kid... But so now the, the snail shell is more pronounced to the point where Katayama almost resembles a snail. His skin, and he's smiling the whole time. He comes to class not walking, he's crawling on his belly through the classroom, down the aisles. Everybody's looking at him, and he's making this disgusting wet sound as he's propelling himself to his seat he sits he tries to sit in the chair yeah. and he 
he can't even because the back of the shell just pushes his his whole body forward and it's raining and he's just like fuck this he goes out onto the side of the school building and he's crawling on the wall by now his arms and legs are totally gone he's he's a, a snail body with a human head and this is the this is the page that gets me you see profile Kadiyama smiling He's, he looks like this is the thing for which he was meant to do. Right? Mm-hmm. And he looks up towards the heavens. He looks back down to all his classmates on the ground. And his eyes protrude from their sockets on giant stalks like snail eyes. And it's just... I mean, uh, are there other words... <laughs> To, it's it 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 will it will shake you to see this. This is the stuff of nightmares. This page. Yep. I love to make I mean, this. Sound. I almost I almost want to give the kid props for like you know still trying to show up for school. So he's still trying right. to for class. Well, routine, like, right? Committed. No routine. It's it's the routine. <laughs> I'm here every day, but here I am. That's I the am. thing you get in in the few lines that Ito uses to draw him. You get the sense that this is an innocent kid who just wants to do good. Yeah. He just wants friends. Yeah. He just wants to be accepted and just live his life without being bullied and, and, and thrown around. And I think he was bullied and, and pressured before he turned into a snail. But, but now, I mean, you know, the game's over for him. And he's leaving a disgusting, icky snail trail on the side of the building. Um, but here's the kicker. They take Kadayama into the school and use him as a pet. They feed him. Classmates come and look at him. Of course, Sumura's there, and he pokes Kadayama with a stick, and he, he's very nasty. He's like, you know, this, this guy's not even human anymore. I, I'm not going to call him a guy. He's a thing. He's a snail. And he's poking him with a stick and a broom. But karma's a bitch. Because Sumura can't seem to get enough water. He's like, God damn, it's hot today. And his classmates are all, what do you mean? It's, no, it's not bad. And he's like, I'm so freaking thirsty. He puts his, his head under the tap. Well, you know what's coming. Because Sumura also turns into a snail creature. And because he's a classmate, they can't just let him go. They keep him and put him in the same pen with Katayama. Because why wouldn't they? Why you seriously? Why wouldn't they? And what do they do? They mate. Because so gross. because snails snails are asexual. They're, they're they're hermaphrodites. They're hermaphrodites. And they mate. They mate, <laughs> and they tunnel out from the pen. Um, this is the Scooby Gang now, looking for their their. Um, <laughs> Hot on the trail of the trail. They're hot on the the trail of two extremely slow-moving snail people. (laughs) And they can't catch up to them. But they do find a cache of eggs. And and, and not a teacher's a dick. Yeah, Mr. Yokuda crushes them underfoot. Violently crushes the snail shells underfoot because he doesn't understand. He's afraid. This is not normal. Things like this do not happen in my reality. Why is this occurring? If I crush them and stamp them out, maybe it'll go away. It's a common reaction, right? Uh, It's an an unfortunate and common reaction because 
um, after stamping the uh, eggs into a, a paste, the next page, Mr. Uh, Yokuda comes to school late himself because now he is a snail person, but one of a very different stripe. He has all of the egg pattern. Yeah, on, on, yeah, on his back. And he's <laughs> making that sound coming to school. Like, this is just. What nuts. the hell is he going to teach? What the, it's like, so now you show up to school. It's like, at least, at least the other kids can maybe try to learn. What are you going to actually teach these kids now? You can't even talk. What, what you going to teach? Patience? Uh, I don't know. It's like, how to, yeah, how to, how to slow your roll. Okay. Seriously. Look at the kid's face in the yeah. upper right. He's, he's like, oh, this shit's cool. The other ones are like, oh. Yeah, he's, he's digging it a little bit. And you know, it's, it's after, every, after eight chapters now, but after everything this, this, this girl has seen and, and has come in contact with, she still shrieks and screams and, and is, is she just, she reacts the way, but it's not like she, she's not all of a sudden, you know, tough as nails, Sarah Connor and, and, and Terminator mm-hmm. 2. It's just like, you know, he, she's, she, she's still like, this shit is still so unbelievable and frightening. And, and, and so she, she never becomes Buffy. It's just, I, I so appreciate that because she's still like a teenage girl who is just completely, perplexed as, as as to what the hell's going on in, in, in her town. Well, she's trying to hold out hope, but she doesn't know it at this point. But none of them can leave. You can't... You, Shh! You can't... It's her book yet. It's okay. I'll spoil it. But th- this this will give you some insight into uh, why. Because uh, Chapter 9 is the Black Lighthouse, and it features exactly what it states in the title, A Black Lighthouse. And the light from this thing just disturbs everyone, sweeps the the night sky, and it's it's horrible. But the lighthouse was abandoned. Like, why is it? Why is it suddenly fl- uh, you know flaming into life? And so they they go to investigate it. And the 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 party that goes never returns. So uh, people start walking around in spiral patterns and they can't stop it's insane they just uh, because i don't know if it was instigated by the lighthouse or just a a combination of a whole bunch of things but women children men just start to walk in spiral patterns and they can't they can't stop um so they go to investigate the lighthouse and it's kiri and and her brother, Mitsuo, and, and some of his friends. And, and when they enter the lighthouse, wouldn't you know it? It's a lighthouse. So it has a spiral staircase, right? So they, they, they start making... And Kiri has a beautiful dress on, by the way. So they, they inch their way up the staircase. And as they're going, Kiri notices that the walls of the lighthouse are littered with spiral patterns. That's not a good sign. Gets to a certain point, and she finds out what happened to the previous search party. They are in; they have been 
incinerated. Um, parts of them uh, darken the walls. Uh, their bodies are burned beyond recognition. They're disgusting, desiccated, withered shells uh, of former people. It's, it's terrifying, that page. But I gotta say, Ito's use of black and and uh, white is perfection, mm. right? You get the feeling that you can go up to that arm and just flick it, and half of it would just fall out. That True. it's it's so dry and and just. Um, but the the thing is, the the light from and and these are bodies that aren't just like slumped to the side. They were trying to get away from the light. So their anguish is prevalent on their facial features. They're, they were screaming when they died. Um, mm -hmm. So her and the kids, they, uh, they're in the lighthouse and they get to the, the peak, and the, the, the light room, I don't know what it's called, and the, uh, it's, it looks like no light that I've ever seen. It's a gigantic melting spiral orb with a, a dead spot in the center, and it um, comes time for the sun to go down, and when the sun goes down, what happens? The lighthouse uh, springs to life, and they got to get their shit out of the lighthouse, or they're going to die, and it's a frantic race, her and the kids, trying to get out of the lighthouse. One unfortunate boy does not make it, and is burned to death, um, luckily, Kiri and her brother and the other kid get out, but Kiri is burned in the process. And that leads to the next chapter, chapter 10, Mosquitoes, where Kiri mm -hmm. is uh, checked into the local hospital, the Kurozu Hospital, for her burns, and she's recuperating, and happens to notice that the place is uh, lousy with mosquitoes. And did you notice the mosquitoes flying in a spiral pattern? Sure. Of course. She tries to swat at it with a big old manga. She killed Great it. Copies. It would be like Italian Vogue for a bug, right? And <laughs> 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 she, uh, she misses, but she's bitten, right? And she's convalescing. And who comes? Uh, one of her friends comes to see her, and they notice that there's a lot of damn mosquitoes outside. And they make spiral patterns. The mosquito column makes a spiral pattern. And once again, Kiri's like, oh, this can't be good. But on the way back to her room, she finds a dead body, of course, in the bushes. And the body, looks like it died screaming as well, is covered with puncture wounds. A bloodless corpse covered in puncture wounds. Hmm. Yeah, what, could, what could have called, caused that? But, hey, wait a minute, Kiri's cousin, who happens to be pregnant, she and a bunch of other pregnant women were attacked by mosquitoes. It happens. So they bring them to the hospital to, you know, check out on them. And uh, Kiri's cousin is, is like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm glad you're here. Th thanks. Thanks for being here. And she says, oh, can you put this away? And it's something wrapped in cloth and it looks like a giant bent dildo but it's not it's not, <laughs> mm -hmm. it's not. um she puts it in the cabinet doesn't think too much ab about it but 
people start turning up dead in this hospital. They find dead people just removed of all their blood and they got the puncture wounds all over them and like, what the hell's going on? And it turns out that the women, in order to feed their children, have been attacking patients in the night with hand-powered drills, like not electric drills, the, the old-fashioned kind that you got to turn the, the, the handle and it, it does its work. And they're drilling people in their sleep and sucking out their blood to feed. Remember, this is important. To feed their unborn children. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and... Uh, they notice, well, Kiri notices them, and she becomes uh, uh, public enemy number one. They try and get her. They, they don't get her, but it's uh, all a, um, a segue into the next chapter that um, I won't say how Kiri solves the problem because it's fairly, I mean, you can guess, but it, it's a neat little scene. So you have all these children that were fed on blood. And children need to be born, right? So they're born, and they're beautiful. These babies are just gorgeous, gorgeous children. And the, um, the doctor, uh, damn it, well, Dr. Kawamoto, he, he's like, I've never seen such beautiful children. Oh, my goodness, they're all just angelic. And, and all the women went back to normal. Like, all the dark circles under their eyes are, are gone, and they're not killing people in their sleep with drills. Um, but the babies have a common trait. Their stomachs are all bloated. Distended, yeah. Yeah, they're all distended and bloated and swollen. And, and what the hell's going on, right? And the, the kids start crying. They're, they're, they're hungry, and they cry. And Kiri just can't take it. The... the wails of these children remind her of the five o'clock siren in the city like that that drives people crazy as well so she flees and in fleeing she falls down a flight of steps and has to be admitted again to the hospital which is unfortunate for her because she served a new dish one with many many pieces of mushroom and this, this mushroom is apparently all the rage in the cafeteria because everybody's like, oh, did you try the mushroom? It's amazing. You've got to get this mushroom. It's just delicious. Um, it's <laughs> the bellies of the children, let me get this right, have a placental umbrella it's a spiral-patterned, mm -hmm. hooded, placental-hooded umbilical umbrella <laughs> that comes out of their, their belly buttons. Hey, baby. And um, mm -hmm. it's, it's, again, this infernal device that the spiral is using to turn people to its will. The doctor is cultivating these placental umbrellas. Like, he tries to cut them off. And they grow back. And he cuts them off, mm -hmm. and they grow back again. And he's like, I have a theory. The fact that these placental umbrellas, flower things, are growing back means that the child wants to go back into the womb. It doesn't 
want to be born. It wants to be rejoined with its mother because the placenta is the thing that feeds the child through the umbilical, blah, blah, blah. We got to put this kid back. So he operates on Kiri's cousin and puts the baby back in her belly. Now, I can say it, but unless you see it, <laughs> you don't get the full measure of exactly what's going on here. She looks like a zombie. She looks like a corpse. Oh, it's disgusting. She's got wild hair, dark circles under her eyes, and a gigantic incision. It looks like he just opened up her belly and just shoved it in. Because it doesn't look like the belly's, the baby's where it's supposed to be. Like, which would be down lower in that birth canal, right? It's not. Mm -hmm. It's just, he just opened up her belly and just put the baby in like a piece of Samsonite. Like, she's just a luggage for the baby, right? But um, in eating the placenta, you, you became infinitely more susceptible to the spiral, which is what happened to Dr. Kawamoto. Like, he's this mad scientist. He's growing this shit and feeding everybody with it. And they show a room, a hospital room, that's just littered with these little placenta plants, these umbrella placenta uh, things, spirals and all, and it's, the room is full of them, and he's chopping it up and giving it to the cafeteria, and they're feeding people with it. <laughs> um, but it's at, at the end of the chapter, um, Keiko, she loses it, right? She's, she just, over the deep end, tries to kill... Um, Kiri with this giant hairy tongue that has a it's like a straw it has a hole on the end of it that it, from which she could suck the blood of her victims and she she tries to pierce Kiri with it but she gets a doctor thankfully and she literally drains his ass dry of blood in like seconds yep it sucks every ounce out of the dude and we see him wither over the course of like four or five panels into this just nothing, bag of bones. Um, so she, she, it's not enough to satiate her. She needs more blood to feed the baby, to feed herself. So she runs out of the hospital room, naked, titties flopping all over, giant zipper belly, blood all over the place. And they just start, the, the, the hospital uh, employees that aren't, chowing down on the placentas are being attacked by the pregnant women, Kiri's, or not Kiri, um, Keiko's just a feeding frenzy, and Kiri just leaves the hospital. She just leaves. And she doesn't know what happened after that. We never see the pregnant women again. I get the uh, opinion, I'm of the opinion that it just keeps happening, like the entire hospital goes under. <laughs> right? I mean, if it's not sure. if it not a, not a byproduct of the next chapter, that the chaos in the hospital was just so extreme that it's just spreading everywhere. But the the uh, the cleansing factor is chapter twelve. There are a number of tropical storms that bear down on Caranzo Chu, and a tropical storm. If you see your your weather radar, more often than not, looks like what. A spiral. Yes. So, um, big picture, Caranzo Chu gets hit by six 
tropical storms in succession. But that's not, I mean, yeah, that's odd. But that's not the odd thing. The odd thing is Ito takes the concept of the eye of the storm literally. And this storm, the eye follows Kiri. Yeah, this is the chapter that didn't do much for me. No? Just because it it, it was almost conventional. I mean, it felt conventional. I mean, a bad storm would be... Like they would be, anyone would be enduring the same kind of thing in a, in a legitimate bad storm. It wasn't. It didn't feel supernatural enough. Okay. I I Your get. Powers may vary. No, I get it. It's 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 more of a power of nature type thing, but mm-hmm. nature being controlled by something else, and and the the, yeah. the 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 spirals and the whirlpools are erupting everywhere in the sky and the water. Um, but but this this chapter, I think leads to the even more degradation of the physics in the place because I think it, it's a direct precursor to what they can later do with the power of their bodies and their 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 mouths, how they can create these whirlpools and these updrafts themselves. I think the storm is the the thing that made that more possible. Because mm-hmm. because it, it it levels the place like there's not too much not too many buildings still standing oddly enough mm-hmm. the buildings that are still standing are the row houses which doesn't make any sense because these row houses are old they're made out of wood they were falling apart when the story started and yet they're untouched by the storms. So everybody's flocking to the row houses. And this one is, this next chapter, what's it called, what's it called? The next chapter is called The House. This is a more conventional horror story chapter. Um, a mother's body, and like a family. And it's also the, the start of volume three. It is, Okay. It's it's the the skin of this family erupts in these spiral type patterns and it's it's very disgusting and um, the creatures that result look like just spiral themed porcupine human type like even their teeth are spirals they have spirals coming out of their eyes their every every part of their body has the spirals it's coming out and it's. It's fun, but it's more of a straight horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't think this, other than the fact that they cement the, the, the notion that the row houses are a bit of a sanctuary, you know, that term can't be really used. Like, there's no sanctuary at all. But yeah. it's not constant threats in the row house, unless, of course, somebody's infected with the skin spirals like this family, and then, then it is, you know. But, yeah, this was... Um, now, now that I think about it, the, at least the Medusa. This one's more. This chapter was more visually arresting than the Medusa chapter, but I think it's on the same level in that mm-hmm. it really doesn't have a whole lot of bearing onto the big story, big picture. Mm-hmm. All right, chapter fourteen, butterflies. David, you want to do that one? Sure, because this is where it. Um, we're kind of. I, I think for me, this is the point of no return where there, this is just, um, 
it's it's we're kind of nearing the uh, the end game more or less, and and we start off with um, with a uh, a press team, um, roving band of reporters or uh, reporter or cameraman um, heading slow, their way. Slow slang. I'm sorry. Slow slang. Yes. Yes. Um, driving down a tunnel, heading into uh, Koruzo Cho, and it's a uh, which you know. We know it's a little town to the west, um, about six thousand people, and and it's tucked away between the sea and the mountains. Which if these are all things that we've seen as the uh, as these stories have have progressed, but um, they're being sent to investigate the story because um, after all the hurricanes and and the uh, the tropical storms that inflict so much damage. Uh, other reporters attempted to, uh, well, have we're, we're told, have gone into town to to uh, find out what's going on, but they're um, they're never heard from again. And uh, we get to the end of the tunnel, <laughs> and we're um, well, we make it through the tunnel, and and a twister appears right behind the uh, the van, which takes it off the road um, and as been said Lois Lane is the uh, the only one to um, to survive the uh, yes. the crash Ms. Maruyama um, thank you yeah um, so she's the, the whole town is rubble <laughs> that, that, that we can see there's just just nothing is standing uh, except for maybe a few utility poles um, so it's obviously not Putnam Valley, but we get through the, um, she, she notices a tiny helicopter, which, or she notices a helicopter. It's tiny. It's in the sky. She notices the helicopter, which also gets sucked up by a twister and crashes down into, uh, into the water. Um, actually the, it was water that, um, splashed up. So it, it must've fallen into a lake. I wonder she, she uh, so she's heading towards the lake and and she's passing all of these um, dead bodies, these these ruins full of corpses. Then um, she hears a rumble, which looks like it's Dragonfly Pond, which is um, the lake, which is of course spiraling. And she looks to the side, and there are these three three young kids um, tied up. To, to posts with uh, with their mouths gagged and uh, so she runs out to, to set them free and when doing so they're they're, they're awfully silent uh, she's trying to get answers from them and, and she wants to know where you know where are the adults and and she starts you know getting more adamant about wanting answers and they're all facing a house and these three kids, turn to each other and start chuckling and just like the big bad wolf they blow the house clean down the, the, the twisters erupt from from their mouths and uh, place comes crashing down they're giddy they've they, they, they accomplished what they went sent out to do um, and the reporter is just completely 
baffled by all of this. So apparently they have ADHD because they had no idea who, who uh, oh, yes, it's, it's, it's the woman from before Freitas. So let's, let's get rid of her. And they, the people now of this town, or at least these kids anyway, have the ability to generate twisters, whether um, it's exhaling or they can throw twisters. And we find out that basically the twisters, um, you, you, everybody has the power to do it, whether it's, it's uh, generated from sound or uh, movement. Uh, so everybody needs to stay quiet and move slowly because um, you never know when one might be stirred up by, uh, by your movements or your actions. So she, uh, she keeps trying to, she, so, so, so they're attacking her with twisters. She, um, she tries to escape. And when she's, uh, she's cornered, she lashes out screaming, no, and they all get blown away. Um, and when she realizes what, happened she's asked if she's all right and we're met with uh kiri and her brother mitsuo and we're introduced to uh to everybody as been said uh she is uh she mariyama um from toyo tv and kiri kind of catches her up on uh on recent events, basically even the slightest sudden motion or loud noise here creates an immense whirlwind. They say it's because of the force, the air pressure from the hurricanes sucked in by dragonfly pond. Um, that lake sucked in all the hurricanes. It swallowed all six of them. So now it's a whirlpool that never stops. Um, Ayama is, is just completely trying to take this, all in it's 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 a bit overwhelming a bit hard to take um so kiri says listen you know come to our row house you can you can stay with us after everything that's been demolished the row houses are the only thing that are still standing um and yes it's a bit of a rundown shack but um it's it's a roof it's shelter and it is it is packed with people not packed to the gills there will be houses that we will see are that way but this one there's still a little bit of room to breathe um so kiri's parents are here as well as um other people from uh from the town so she's like you know listen let's we we can you know the the car accident that i was in you know we can let, let's see if we can still try to help um, we can still get to to them, to, to, to the other people out there. Let's let's try to help them. Um, Kiri's father and, and mother say, you know, yeah, we'll 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 go with you. But the other people in the in the house are like, yeah, listen, this is useless. This just you know, you won't be able to leave this town even if you, you know you do make it to the tunnel. Don't even just just listen. This is this is the way it is. Um, but. Kiri's father's like, you know, listen, we're just we're gonna go do what we gotta do. Let let's go. But they're confronted by two of the three children that she had uh saved earlier. Um the third boy is dead, so these two are uh are going to avenge his death. 
Uh, even though she didn't know what she was doing, and she's apologizing for it, they're not hearing it. So they throw twisters at at them. Um, Carrie's family runs back into the row house. That uh, again, kids are just standing outside, huffing and puffing. Um, the uh, the people, the residents, the the everybody who's in the house is um, uh fights back and and uh they blow the kids away and Chuchi's huddled up against the wall we finally see him again and um he's just you know muttering on about how the whole town's going to be destroyed it's turning into a spiral everything's going to be a spiral um but we turn back to outside where the the two kids are floating around inside twisters wheeling around like butterflies uh and that brings us to chapter 15, Chaos, where Chaos. we're introduced to gangs that um, kind of like Wheeling and the Chopper Bunch, but with inside twisters. And, Seriously. Uh, they, they just... Yeah, it's uh, kind of cray. <laughs> it's, it, it's the most mutant-esque, X-Men-ish yeah. part yeah. Of, of, of the whole, whole series. They're um, those damn snail people again. Yeah, see, and that's, <laughs> so th- I mean, so we're getting, we're getting Can't have the it. whole... I know what uh, I'm drawing Jason for Christmas. Yeah, right, baby. <laughs> some, some giant escargots. But it, this is where, you know, we, we get the return of the snail people. Uh, earlier, you know, we had the return of the row houses. They're just... Everything that that Itu had, had established earlier, which could have just been throwaway ideas right. or just something to tell that story with... Um, was actually part of a larger whole. And, and th- this is where it just really, um, it went from being an anthology to a, a, a long form mm-hmm. story. And, right. and I, I, it just, it turned something on for me and, and it just, it, be- it went from being a, Hey, this is a pretty cool collection to I'm really enjoying this story. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, what it yeah. what it does is it establishes the fact that the row houses can't be destroyed. Yes. You got these kids that were tied up for just cause because they were destroying all the buildings they could destroy. Fuck it. Let's get these kids and tie them up and we don't care what happens to them. Along com- comes Lois Lane, lets them out and they're they're little dicks and start destroying shit. It's all set up to say to show you that you can you can destroy things with your mouth with your hand move any movement you can destroy things and you're not going to get anywhere with these row houses why because they're important and you're going to see yeah. why you know and while they're in the um the row house they find a map and the map has as you would expect a spiral and it's centered on dragonfly pond and they don't understand the significance of the map yet but the the reason why this chapter I think is called chaos is that it just shows you how their society in this this little town has degraded. People fighting amongst each other. You can't come in this house. There's not enough room. Well, there is enough room. You just don't want to sacrifice what little space you have left for someone else. Like the the, the basic human niceties are gone because the town is in ruins. Food is at a very uh, food is 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 precious, and the the part of this chapter that I loved 
was that they don't have much to eat. So what some people are doing is they're cooking the snail people alive. So fucking gross. In their shells, <laughs> they burn the snail people alive, crack their shells open, and start slicing off chunks of snail meat. While the corpse's face, what remains of a human face that once was a snail person, there are gaping holes where their eyes were. Their, their eyes probably exploded from the heat from the flames. Their teeth are intact, but it's just this mass of bubbled and mucky once human skull. And they're just like slicing off meat next to it. Like, mm, this is good. You know, it's like, so this is how far people have descended in this town. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, th there's no frame of reference. Like, what do you compare this to? <laughs> nothing. There's nothing like this. Uh, we play um, Twister Roulette, where the, they get the jump on, or they try and get the jump on the, on the gang, and vice versa. And Kiri almost, Kiri and uh, the reporter almost get sucked into the void if it weren't for good old Shuchi saves the day and uh, his gal by holding on to he's stronger than he looks I guess because mm -hmm. he, he was holding on to a telephone pole in the midst of this giant whirlpool in the sky and he manages to save both of them so n not only one but two women he's holding two women by one arm look at that that's inhuman strength Mm hmm. Well, you know, you're saving the one you love. I guess. But love the one you with. Yeah, it's 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 not going well. Um, later chapters, we uh, learn that the many attempts of uh, any survivor to get out of this place are thwarted. Um, no matter what you do, you can go through the tunnel. It'll seem like you're walking forever. The tunnel will start to undulate. And you'll, you'll get vertigo and, and just have to turn around. Even common pathways through the forest, um, well-trod pathways that would lead to the next city, only lead back to Karanzu Chu. So nobody can leave. Nobody's getting out of here. Meanwhile, all of the, the people that have infested the row houses have grown to such massive proportions that they become one organism. Their bodies intertwine and twist and shape around each other till they're this giant crawling mass of people on a cellular level. Like this giant organism, each cell is a, is a human being. It makes me think, again, of that Clive Barker story where you know these two towns fought each other by strapping the bodies of all of the townspeople together, and it reminds me of that. But anyway, um, so what they've been doing, because the row houses are starting to, or they're getting, they're, they're way past overcrowding, they're extending the row houses with the timber that they find from destroyed buildings. And what they find out is the row houses were built in a concentric circle type pattern with Dragonfly Pond being at the center. So if you pinpoint a Dragonfly Pond and you drew a circle with Dragonfly Pond being the midpoint, these row houses would fall 
on the arc of these circles that emanate from Dragonfly Pond. So in extending the row houses, what they have done is they've created a labyrinth around Dragonfly Pond. And as the spaces close up, you're just going to get this, this massive concentric circles connected houses around the pond. Um, Mitsuo gets turned into a snail. It's, it's pretty devastating. This young boy is turned into a snail and threatened, like the, this one gang was going to threaten to eat him. And so Kiri and the company try and get her brother to safety, relative safety. The kid's a snail. But uh, it, it all comes down to the labyrinth. And they try and uh, traverse this concentric, this spiral pattern of buildings. And go, they're going through each opening that they possibly can to get to the next inward ring. And as they're going through the buildings, people are throwing out the dead from within the buildings. They're like, hey, this guy just died. Can you dispose of the body for us? It's like, what? What? And, uh, it's another, starting to stink in here. It's starting to, yeah, it's starting to really stink. But one thing I failed to mention, and it's very important, while Kiri and company were trying to leave the city, a huge amount of time has passed. Years, even. Because when they come back, there was, there was a handful of row houses being worked on. When they come back, there are hundreds of row houses in this uh, spiral going towards Dragonfly Pond. And people that they knew... Like a geometric favela. Yes. People that they knew before they, when they left are now older when they came back much older and their hair is a lot longer so it's suggested that they have been may have been gone for years it's nuts right it i mean it's almost as nuts as the people living in the row houses turning into spirals themselves yeah they are they're 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 spiraling around each other um one guy gets so hungry that he enters the snail shell and eats the snail person from within. Now, when that happened, I I thought it was going to um, backfire on him. I thought the snail was going to end up eating him. Mm, no, no, he but no, he chowed down some something fierce. Yeah. Um, so they're trying to get. To the row house, through the row houses to Dragonfly Pond, and in doing so, they lose Miss Moriyama. She's absorbed by the people, and it, it's it's very quick. You hear this shuffling, whirring, slurping sound, and all of the human inhabitants of this now interconnected series of row houses join together and are just sucked into, we can assume, Dragonfly Pond. There's nobody else in, the, in these structures now. So they're, they're just walking through unencumbered and they get to the center. They, they get to the, the, the center point, which is Dragonfly Pond, which is not a pond anymore. All the water's gone. And because the water's gone, it reveals, what do you think? Well, a spiral, but it's a staircase that leads downward. And they follow this staircase downward. 
encountering the remnants of some people that didn't make it. And there is a huge underground kingdom underneath Kuranzo Chu. And as you would expect, having sucked in all of the people from the city, the, the ground of this realm is all intertwined human bodies. And they're, they're walking on it. And the, uh, the architecture is amazing. It's all spirals. We get a glimpse of something that we once saw in the lighthouse as this giant tower that's projecting something. There are minarets and towers and trumpet-like structures emanating upward, but they all have a spiral pattern. It, it is an alien landscape underneath the, the confines of this city, hidden underneath Dragonfly Pond. Um, Kiri encounters her mother and father, now turned to stone, as were the rest of the inhabitants. And this is where the bleakness of the story uh, really comes to the forefront. The, the pull of this dragonfly pond was so strong that time doesn't exist. It shattered all of the known laws of physics. The center of this space, this, this alien area, time doesn't exist. It has stopped. And so Kiri and Shuchi, they admit defeat. We're done. This is it. It's, it's all over. And like that chapter that we thought was just, you know, a, a little illustration on the love of two kids and the, the, the force of the spiral contorting their bodies into one, Kiri and Shuchi twist and entangle into one, one being and they're embracing and they're together forever. And ever and ever. It doesn't say that they die. There's mm-hmm. no, there's, time doesn't exist here because so now they don't age. They're, they're locked in this embrace for eternity. And it seems that their joining was the trigger that set this cosmic cycle into its final stages because this giant column, this giant spiral drill-like column in the middle of this alien city starts to spin and fill up the chamber from which it descended. And now you have this giant, soundless labyrinth of, of, of a spiral that is the city. There, the city is no more. It's just, it, it has turned into a spiral. And there's nothing flying over it. There's no movement. There's, there's nothing. It's just the spiral is. And that's the end of the story. Or so we thought until the last chapter. We right. The we get the epilogue, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we get the epilogue. But, but I think that the, the, this unyielding inescapable cosmic process that disregards anything other than itself. Life is insignificant. That's 100% H.P. Lovecraft. Yes. Yep. Which, and he cites uh, Lovecraft as a, um, as a huge influence. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
but in the in the afterward or the af the lost chapter, it's called galaxies. Um, a spiral galaxy is found that has never been noticed before, and it's a spiral. It's it's a weird looking spiral um, galaxy, and um, there's a fight to lay claim to it, and it's emanating as galaxies do radio waves, and it's controlling people, and it's this thing however many light years away that has such a pull over the events on earth that's the entirety of this chapter where it's it's just the the man that fought to have the spiral named the spiral galaxy named in in his in his honor eventually turns into a galaxy himself and is transported into space to assume the role of a new galaxy somewhere else like that's mind-boggling this the fact that these things these these galaxies that are disturbingly far away from our planet are causing all of this on earth it's it's um it's cosmic horror at its finest drives people mad yes and then they turn into galaxies Yes. Sick. <laughs> what a way to go. Yeah. There's a couple afterwards that are nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Um, in, I, I will say in the movie, right in the, in the first five minutes, there's a wanted poster on the, on the wall, and it said wanted Junji Ito. And it shows a picture of Ito, and there's a, a snippet from the, the manga in there. So it, that's kind of cute, mm-hmm. but no reason to watch it. Um, I there's what more can I say about this book than than I've already said? I I think it's perfect, with one or two teensy tiny crescent moon shaped blemishes with those two mm-hmm. chapters. But otherwise, I mean, and they're not really they're not a problem. They're not bad. It's just as a whole, I I hesitate. Like I think they could have been removed and it would still be as monumental as it is. But it's more just more great drawing by Ito. I mean, his his women especially are are phenomenally beautiful. I I just love the way he draws Kiri. Absolutely, mm-hmm. all in the eyes. It's all in the eyes, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, this is a an example of the. Um, I feel as though manga is much more willing on a regular basis to be nonsensical. Yes, and that's its strength. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just... Uh, and I think sometimes that works for me, and sometimes it doesn't. In this case, I think because it was horror, and, and it was supposed to be grotesque and psychedelic and obtuse, I think it worked. Um, things like Nausicaa, it works for me. Yeah. I can't say it works all the time, but but in this case it worked. And uh, um, I have to say that first chapter was I wasn't sure because it was so grotesque, and I thought, oh, is this is if this is just the beginning, is this going to just become like the Devil Man? That was too much for me. (laughs) No, I mean I just I didn't I didn't enjoy it. It just seemed grotesque for the sake of being grotesque. Uh, Well, And and, and I didn't care about any characters, and I didn't. I didn't, I didn't, it just didn't titillate me in any particular way. Whereas this was, it's not as though 
the characters are fleshed out very much such that you root for them. But but like you said, at least there were the anchor points, like a good horror movie where you knew that you knew where you were supposed to keep your eyes. You knew that these people were more there for narrative than because their lives were in danger. Right. And that I think that little bit of grounding worked for me. And the thing is that Kiri narrates the entire thing, even to the point where time stands still. Like, mm-hmm. she's still narrating it at the end. And she's, in a sense, timeless, mm-hmm. right? Which is kind of touching, that she wanted... Mm-hmm. Who is she telling this story to? Is she running over the events of this entire thing in her, in her mind? Is she talking to uh, Shuchi? How can, I mean, there's, time doesn't exist in this, in this room. Right. So... It just it that's those are the kind of things that hurt my head, uh-huh. right? <laughs> if time doesn't exist, how could you speak? Because speak a uh, speaking is metered sound. If sound waves can't travel, then how do you speak? It, how do you think? How do how does your body work if there's no mm-hmm. t- if time doesn't exist? It just it it makes it, it it I get uncomfortable when I think of things like that. But that's the entirety of the ending of this thing it's just it's uncomfortable and the the one glimmer is that these these two kids who who loved each other are now locked in an embrace forever ever and ever like so it, it does end on a sort of happy ending I, depending on your perspective yeah i i guess i, I don't know that i think getting your body twisted and merged into another one for all of eternity is most people's definition of a happy ending. But I think that's a pretty classic example of when, when in literature people have depicted hell, right? Well, depending on who you're bound with, right? But you're not bound in a sexual way. You don't know that. Well, it doesn't seem very sexual. Maybe he's just working it into position. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, it's just a phenomenal piece of work. Um, did you so you guys would recommend it to the the manga novice, or would you? Well, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. A manga novice may be completely put off by the nonlinear nature of the book. I, I don't. There's probably a reason why they're a non-manga reader or a novice. Um, I think you have to be okay with horror and and, yeah, and, I, I, and grotesque body manipulation and things that are fairly common in some manga. But but I, I do think you need to be able. You have to have a strong stomach and you need to be able to be entertained by the grotesque. Right. If you, if you if the if you are those things, then sure, yeah, this is an easy recommendation for sure. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think if you're if if you're a, an old school EC fan, because there's very, it's not like this is. I mean, aside from the setting, there, there's nothing really in these stories that, um, for me, that 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 mean it has to be told. And it, it it could these could very easily be a a a Western style story, and, and within in some little podunk backwater swamp town. And and with, with similar, not 
cannibal redneck hillbillies or anything, but just I, I don't think the fact that it, it's it's done by a, a Japanese creator and it was originally published in in Japanese. I don't think that should. It, yes, it's 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 manga, but I think as as long as you're I, as long as you're fine with horror stories. I think you could definitely give it a shot. I don't. I don't. I'm not saying it's a gateway or or it's it's you know if if you if you've watched Dragon Ball Z then here try this. But I think if you're fine right, with right, horror, right. then 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 you should you would definitely. Right. Uh, I would definitely give this a shot. Well, the takeaway from this is exactly what Jason says that the the mangaka are definitely more willing to embarrass themselves. Yes, be, being ridiculous. Like the, some of the plot points in this book are flat out ridiculous. And and I think that's what made the X Men work. At at one time, the X Men was the most ridiculous book on the stands. Mm-hmm. The 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 mutants were just some of them were just plain stupid. Like they took risks because they were making so many mutants. They took risks then to make. Well, this person can manifest bones, and she uses them as weapons. And this person can can make his arm into a gun. Oh, here's a here's a chicken man, a bird. You know, like that's just silly, but it it was exciting because you never knew what was going to happen next. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's what a lot of comics should follow the lead of, the, of Uzumaki. It's just it's off the wall and it it's done so well that all that silly, ridiculous, borderline stupid stuff makes sense in light of the big story because of the just the the author's brilliance right it's work and it's it's brilliant work the um the 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 sillier stories not necessarily the um the the twilight zone-ish endings like in medusa or even um uh not not snail but there was um not even Jack in the Box, but there there's some of the stories where um, up to a certain point, I could see even playing out in the original uh, Tick from Ben Edlund. It's like, I mean, you know, when you have somebody like Chairface Chippendale as your big bad guy, yeah, that's 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 silly. And and seeing, you know, these two characters, these two women fighting each other with, with their hair, that that is something that I would expect to see. In one of those stories, or like and, flaming and, carrot or something, you know, right? Just exactly. Bob, so, Bob I mean, if, if, as long as you, if if you're if you're willing to um, go beyond the cape and cowl, or or and and you, but you enjoy, you know, Harrow County, or maybe even things like Sweet Tooth. If if if, if you if you <laughs> if you ventured slightly outside of your comfort zone for what you 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 buy weekly. Um, then, then I definitely think Uzumaki should should at least be tried, and 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 there is a lot of it, so you can definitely. I think you'll get a taste for it definitely early on, but I think you'll get a sense of what to expect in the first couple of chapters, and and if you get through those couple of chapters and you're like, I, I think I've I've seen enough, where I get what you guys are saying, but I'm good, then then you know at least you tried it, but it's I don't think anybody should just say you know prejudge or without even attempting to try putting the hand up and saying hard pass. Yep. I don't think I've ever stopped reading midway through a comic. No, come on. You must have. 
I don't think so. I, I would. Like, I read like, the uh, first issue and never continued anything okay, after. Right, but oh, okay, right. Sure. But yeah. But to to not finish a piece of work, I think, is disrespectful to the creators, and it's a waste of time. So you might as well just finish it. Um, yes, it's easy with floppies, but if I started, um, if you gave me a trade and you said, "Here, read this," and I got halfway through it, and I'm like, "I am just not digging this," I would finish it. Regardless, because mm -hmm. he's in the. Uh, I even the, finished body bags. Well, the, the, dude, come on! They did. did. You bring that up as if like that is the most extreme example of that's of, hilarious. Of, of, it's I horrible. Love it. it's, like, it's. I mean, I love your reaction. It's to horrible. It. It's horrible. It is. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible it's, scene. It's it you. You just you're like he killed oh my a God, baby. He stabbed a pregnant woman because he, you know she's growing. She, she's growing a crack baby in her belly. But it, so aside from the fact that he saved the kid, because you know by putting it out of its misery. But so so you don't know that's, that. It could have been. No, I don't. It could have grown up to be crack president. You don't know that, right? And Jack in the Box could have grown up to be you know curing <laughs> cancer. But he's in their fucking wheel well now. But the the it, you. <laughs> I'm trying to. What the hell was it? Was it Take Ten? Who the 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 Jemus books that we got from New York Comic Con? You read oh, the whole trade of that? Oh yeah, I finished the trades. Oh, I didn't. I didn't read. Ooh, I didn't best. read anything after the the initial that, trade, but I finished what, the trade. I, no, I couldn't. I couldn't. Yeah, they were bad. They were, they were very bad. <laughs> well, they were originally web comics adapted to the print uh -huh. the, the printed page, and whenever that happens, if the people who are producing the webcomic didn't have the notion in their mind that this would be printed someday, you're going to get what you got from this Bill Jemis thing. Repeated panels mm -hmm. and snippets, and it was just horrible. It was, it was just not, not a good read. But anyway, we're, we're, we're distancing ourselves from the subject. So yes, Book of the Month, Uzumaki. Hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to get it, you know where you can go. Discount Comic Book Service, dcbservice.com, I believe... There's a new edition in the works. Um, same as the existing edition, only a new printing, I should have said. Um, so maybe that'll be solicited soon or someday. But you know what's going to happen. You're going to get it for far less than the cover price. You get your books, get them fast, get them delivered right to your damn door in mm -hmm. a fraction of the cost of everybody else. DCBService.com. And we'd also like to thank our patron supporters for picking, right. picking this here book. Because... Weren't for them, we'd be talking about. I don't know. Some, uh, battle, some, no, um, what was it? Uh, oh, uh, probably Ghost in the Shell. It was one of the other ones. But I did ask the uh, the patrons before we recorded tonight. Um, a basic, a simple yes or no question, and that is, uh, did you enjoy Uzumaki? So naturally, this question is for anybody who did read it. Um, answers that uh, involved, well, I was going to read it or I didn't pick it or it, 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 discounting those. We had a 67% um, of the voters uh, said that yes, they did enjoy Uzumaki. Nice. Lucky for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's um, That comfort, comfort zone thing that people like to talk about, that's a very, very bad thing. Comfort zones are bad. Mm. destroy them you don't need them well uh, no i don't agree with that because yeah. i think that there are times where i think they're necessary i mean i don't you shouldn't it shouldn't be a crutch it shouldn't be 
you know, to rely on. But I think it's nice to to have something that uh, is is like a pair of old comfortable jeans. I don't I, I don't think you should get rid of your comfort zones, but it's it's nice to venture because yeah, it, it'll either let remind you of why you appreciate your comfort zone uh, or it might help you expand your comfort zone. But I don't mm-hmm. think it should be done away with. And if I'm not mistaken, Dap, I believe we have some shout-outs, do we not? Speaking of the patrons. Yes, we do. Absolutely. Uh, do you have that channel? Yes, we have uh, three, I believe. Mr. James Fisson, a new patron. Thank you very much. Some dude in Chicago that thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. <laughs> he dude does. Brian Vander. In all seriousness, much love, Vander. It's very nice of you. And, of course, a name that needs no introduction to the EOC family, uh, a once and uh, a, a, a past and now present member of the Illuminati tier, Mr. Jonathan Gordon. So much love to those three gentlemen for being big so love. gracious. Yeah, big love. And if you want to check out the hubbub, go to patreon.com forward slash 11OCOMICS, 11 o'clock comics. And, you know, you'll be shown um, in your travels. I'm going to just hint at the goodness that is within the pages of this uh, miniseries. It's published by Titan Comics. And uh, it was written and drawn by Bridget Connell. It's called Brother Nash. It was published as a series of oversized uh, issues, I believe. I'm thinking it was a six-issue miniseries that was completed. And uh, as published, there's two issues per per book. So it's a three-issue miniseries, which was originally a six-issue miniseries when initially conceived. Um, Brother Nash, short for Noshoba, is a truck driver. Okay. Truck drivers get paid to bring things from one place to another, right? But Brother Nash is also an ancient who is uh, who heralds souls into the afterlife. And he's also a werewolf. So he's got to be very particular around times of the full moon. He has a buddy, trucker buddy, named Brother Ray, who is a shaman. There is um, a giant praying mantis in this thing. It's amazing, and it's a lot of fun, and I want to talk about it at length. So I'm just going to say, if you can get your hands on Brother Nash, all three issues from Titan Comics, do so, because I want to talk about it uh, next time. Nice. I loved every page of it. Well, that's a great thing. Loved it, loved it. Um, In your travels, uh, this was something that I wasn't too sure about when it was announced. Um, partly because of the, um, of what Michael Bay has done to the Transformers. Um, but given the, um, the concept, it, it worked with, okay. IDW, um, 
released the first issue of Star Trek versus Transformers this week. And it is um, written by John Barber and Mike Johnson. Art by Philip Murphy. Uh, colors by Priscilla Tramontano. And it is the just like we've had uh, Star Trek versus Green Lantern, which is the Kelvin versus Star Trek, just like we've had Star Trek versus Planet of the Apes, which is the original series, uh, Star Trek Next Generation, Doctor Who. We've had many different uh, Star Trek and team-ups. This is the Star Trek animated series uh, and Transformers. So you have um, Lieutenant Eryx, who, of course, is the three-armed alien, Empress, which is the feline-looking uh, officer from the uh, from the crew, and it is drawn very much like the filmation cartoon from back in the day, and it is the uh, it is not the Michael Bay Transformers. Um, it, it it all works in the context of this very cartoony-looking story. Uh, it's even Meg- Megatron as his little. Um, Walther with the scope is in the uh, is in the the cockpit as the gun as inside Star be. Scream, right? He but he's but he's not. He's just you know. So it's it's if if you were if you had the Transformers toys in the eighties like like a bunch of us did, uh, this is that version of Transformers. It's not 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 the shiny robots with with the extreme facial features and mm-hmm. uh, so like I said, it, it's and there's. The, the, there's Klingons involved, and uh, it, it bulk of the first issue takes place on a planet where there's a little bit of some uh, miscommunication, and uh, it, it's the usual that the heroes got to fight before they team up type stuff, only because uh, nobody is is uh, everybody's unsure of who everybody else is supposed to be, but we don't know why the Transformers are on this planet. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Why the Autobots were were uh, trapped, um, and and are now freed thanks to the members of the Enterprise, uh, and the Decepticons, of course, are teaming up with the Klingons. So we'll see how this how this limited series uh, shakes out. But I um, I had really low expectations, and I uh, and I, I finished the issue pretty pleased with with the way it shaped up it, uh, it it's not it's not earth shattering it's definitely not something that's going to blow your mind if if you know this isn't this isn't going to you know but your whistle for morrison's green lantern this is just it, it is what it is it, it's exactly what the title says it's what you're getting here um but i happily uh would recommend it respect so um in your travels, just in honor of the fact that he was on with us last week, I want to quickly say Heroes in Crisis number one came out yesterday, and it was phenomenal. Yeah, uh, we will discuss that next week. Yeah, so but definitely pick it up if you haven't already, because we'll we'll get into it next week. Um, also, pick up Extermination number three because that was the best issue yet, and uh, Pepe Larraz is quickly becoming artist who who I do not own art from that I most covet. Um, but my inner travels to not many surprise, I'm sure, is Domino Annual Number 1. It is a 
little anthology, and it's it's annuals can suck, and they can be cool. This is in the cool department. It is a couple short stories that are germane to my girl Nina, and are set in current continuity. We get an opening page drawn by Mr. David Baldion, the current artist, um, and then we get a flashback uh, story where Dom and Diamondback are going to a job and they get to a saloon and who is there but a beautifully drawn by Victor Ibanez Crazy Inez aka Outlaw and she gets in a badass bar fight where she whoops an entire group of, uh, of, of rednecks asses and then um, it, it's basically the story of how Domino Outlaw and Diamondback got to be a posse and um, Ibanez looks great here. He really does. Um, and they take on a dude who I must admit, if, if he's not a new character, then he is from the, the, the D list. Well, uh, professor salvage who is some kind of mad tinkerer. And he rolls up in a monster truck type of contraption. That's made half monster truck, half sentinel head. And, uh, it's a, it's a nice design, but, um, that was written by Gail Simone. And then we get to a, little one-pager uh, of Dom assassinating one of the uh, members of the Ringmaster from the the, the uh, Circus of Crime. Then we get to probably my least favorite of the, artistically, which is uh, Juan Gideon drawing a story called The Good Fight, where uh, it's a flashback to when Domino was hanging out with Cable 24-7. They're taking a bath together. And uh, it's a lot of uh, Cable grinting and grunting. And and uh, it, it's it's a more of a Cable story. And it's, it doesn't really fit in. I think that's the one miss in the book. Um, then we get uh, some more um, awesomeness, which is right after, you know, we made a little fun of the whole Kitty Pride Colossus marriage falling apart. Well, there is a story in here that is um, basically takes place minutes after where Domino in a job steals the Crimson Dynamo's armor and ends up uh, conveniently coming across uh, Pete Rasputin as he is sitting on the cliffs in his tuxedo drinking a bottle of champagne fresh off of getting left at the altar and she elicits his help to defeat the Crimson Dynamo, and when he explains to her that uh, Kitty just walked away from him, they they bang it out right there on the mountaintop, right right seconds after he gets left at the altar. Domino goes for hers. So uh, I appreciated that intensely. And uh, that was written by Dennis Hopeless, with uh, amazing art by Leonard Kirk. Nice. Uh, th- then we get a, a pretty wacky story written by Lee Williams where uh, it's called Domino and the Rejects where it's uh, basically a support group featuring a bunch of characters that look weird. It's a, a body image support group. You've got Dupe, Nightcrawler, uh, you've got um, uh, Toad and Marrow and Beak and a whole host of others. Um, and you can get Stacy X, Vince. Remember Stacy X? I sure do. Yes, she's she's lamenting the fact that she no longer has her powers and how life kind of sucks now. But um, 
but it's cute. It's a cute story. And then you get a one-pager called Saturdays Are for the Body Count, written also by Lee Williams with art by Michael Shelfer, where she is uh, in a little schoolgirl, Catholic schoolgirl uniform, and she has just shot a rotund gentleman in the head up against a sliding board, uh, a sliding uh, with a um, with a little girl in the back saying thank you so much, as though she was the one that hired Dom to uh, pull off the hit. So, all in all, a nice little melange of the different ways that Domino have been portrayed over the years, and uh, I dug it. It was great. So, add it to your collection, people. You're getting great Domino comics every few weeks now. It is Halcyon times. In the <laughs> <laughs> That's the highlight. That's right there. Yep, them Halcyon times. Love them. Right. Um, <laughs> You're cute. Be uh, before we go. Um, shout out, thank you to um, Mr. Bashal Rajani. He sent Ooh. me a Facebook messenger message. Um, apparently, Bashal was at uh, the bookstore across the street from his office and asked me if I'd be interested in a couple things he saw on his shelf. And um, there were definitely things I did see there that I would love to have read. And one thing that Vince might enjoy, but Vince probably already has, and if he does, then that's cool because then I'm going to read it. But if he doesn't, then he'll get it next week. But he sent me these massive um, album-sized books by the Comics Journal, uh, such as the Comics Journal Special Edition Winter 2002 Volume 1, which is Cartoonists on Cartooning, uh, Special Edition Winter 2003. So this is Volume 3, and this is uh, Cartoonists on Patriotism. Volume 4 from Winter 2004 is Cartoonists on the Shock of Recognition. There is the Comics Journal Library, R. Crumb, and the one that uh, I don't know if Vince has is um, the first volume of the Comics Journal Library, and it is about Jack Kirby. I have to check. Okay. I don't I don't think I have the cartoonist on editions because I think those are just compilations of stuff that were that was already printed in the Comics Journal proper. I so would doubt I, it. I didn't buy those. Sure. But uh, the library ones, I pretty sure I have the... Well, we don't have to go through this now, but I'm pretty sure I have the Kirby. Uh, I'll, I'll look after the show, and I'll, I'll no let problem. you know. Yeah. Um, and after we're done tonight, I think... Uh, well, I'm going to have another glass because I'm going to raise it to Norm Breifogel, but I'm going to uh, read the first five issues of Batman Shadow of the Bat because that, I think, is one... As much as I love his redesign of Robin, and I know he did some great work, on the Batman books, I think the um, the uh, the last Arkham is is one of my favorite Norm stories. So nice. Yeah. Uh, let's not forget everyone that uh, this time next week we will be wrapping up day one of New York Comic Con. Believe it or not, it's upon us, which means uh, we will all be together in person a day before a week from now, six days from now, uh, which will be giddiness. It will ensue. And as a result, we will be doing next week's episode early. We'll be bringing it to you early. Yes. Yeah. 
Trudeau. Well, I, mean, I don't know. Vince knows that. Yet. Assuming that. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I assumed. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Uh, I can bang one out a day. It's you suckers that won't do it every day. You're adorable. Yeah. <laughs> and then one, get in the way. one final thing, and and for those of you that have stuck around this long, if you are not a patron and don't feel like you have any interest in being a patron, you could probably sign off and have yourselves a great night. Um, we just wanted to mention because. Um, you know, we're coming up on uh, NYCC, which was a big, uh, really was, was when our Patreon campaign kicked in earnestly last year when we launched it. And we've hinted at some things, um, some changes we're going to make. We, uh, we've been a little laggy in, in making those changes, but we're, we're getting close to pulling the trigger there. Um, we've already let the cat out of the bag at the thing I assume you'll all be most excited about, which are the awesome patron exclusive t-shirts that uh vince bizzle created and you all so lovingly voted on but uh yeah we just wanted to take a minute to uh first of all again thank you guys for all the support but also to acknowledge that you know we got a little uh, not intentionally but we got a little remiss in some of the deliverables over the summer and we kind of did a little self-audit and wanted to just acknowledge that um so where we stand i mean i think the biggest deliverable we have and the biggest tier we have is the uh, Illuminati tier, which which gets you the care packages. And I have to say we've done a pretty good job on that. We haven't been able to get every package out the month that you're due the package. But uh, as of this week, we are caught up save for the current month of September. So I think b- between us all, we got over 50 packages out in the last four weeks. So hopefully you all that were do them and have waited very patiently now have them or we'll have them in a day or two. And please, we did post something on the Patreon site with all of your names. If you don't get one, let's say by this time next week, when we're rolling into New York comic con, hit us up, let us know because it might've gotten lost in the mail or there's a chance we, we somehow missed you in the database. But, uh, I think we're pretty much caught up except for you September folks. Um, some of the other deliverables. Yeah. I mean, listen, um, like for example, the, the, the there's a tier that uh, is able to pick collectively a specialty episode on a quarterly basis. Uh, I think we were all surprised and hadn't realized that it had been uh, more than a quarter since we had done one. So we have put up a vote for you all to pick one and uh, we will go back to some of the ideas that y'all threw out a few months ago when we were due the last one and we will just pick one from that. We'll announce that soon, but the bottom line is we'll get you two specialty episodes between now and the end of the year to catch up there. And then, uh, and then, yeah, the, the, the last thing which we really haven't delivered on is the monthly web call. And I have to be honest with you. I think that was a bust. And when we rejigger the tiers here, I think we have agreed the three of us. And I think you all would agree. Um, the technology is just not there to do what we wanted with that, so we're going to scrap that, and we're going to offer you something I think you're going to like even more. So hopefully, as with all things, anytime we make a change to the Patreon, it is truly our hope that it's more for you know that we, we that we give you more than than uh, than we're taking away. So stay tuned. But uh, thanks for the patience. And um, there's a few of you at the uber high level. You all know who you are. That we owe a few very special things to. And uh, I, I hope you realize that we have every intention of getting those to you. I don't know if there's 
for if you feel some kind of way like there's been some kind of miscommunication, please uh, hit us up. I think we've reached out to you all to make sure that uh, we're all copacetic on that. But uh, but we will be getting you those things ASAP. Yes, sir. And as far as the um, October book of the month, we'll 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 discuss that. Um, it's manga before, too, right? Before, before <laughs> no. well, I don't think it's going to be manga, and I don't think it's going to be horror since we just finished one. But uh, they have both. But um, we, we we will either well, the three of us will talk amongst ourselves um, before New York Comic Con. Maybe we'll um, depending on how busy the month looks to be. Maybe we'll see what we can find, like we did at Heroes. See if we can find something in New York that we can probably throw out to the patrons and see if if they're interested in hearing about it. Uh, or what they would vote on, and but we'll we'll either have the poll up uh, right after New York Comic Con, or we'll um, decide something during New York Comic Con and and uh, try to make it uh, enjoyable for everybody. But that's I, I don't want the the October um, nominees. I don't want I don't want to go too far into October before anything's been been suggested and, and being voted on. Right. There you go. We hope you've enjoyed this extra long episode of uh, 11 O'Clock Comics. We implore you to become um, with us next week because we'll be doing it early and then because they have that big uh, convention coming up. And if you're a Patreon supporter, you'll be able to follow every step of the way because like last time, we are going to inundate your asses with extra content. It's going to be hot. Yes. Interviews, photos, uh, behind the scenes. And hold uh, our feet to the candle on that one because we, we like to be motivated. And so we're promising it. We <laughs> whoa, whoa, say, whoa. Stay tuned. I like to be motivated because I'm always the one pushing to do this stuff. And you're all like, no, <laughs> we're too busy. I know, man. You got, you got so many bumper at Heroes. I did. A, a ton of them. I use them all to the this bumpers. day. All them bumpers. But we may be, if things pan out, we may get a couple of bumpers from people you've never heard from before. At least not on this podcast. That's true. There's a hint. So uh, be back here next week. We love you so much. In the meantime, say goodnight. David. I'm going to try. Right. <laughs> David. I'll give you that one. I'll give you that oh, it's one. sweet of you. Yeah, I'm feeling very generous tonight. Oh, my goodness. Say goodnight. We'll be back. Much love. Have a great Peace weekend, everybody. Love you all. Yep. <laughs>